I'm 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 not in a great mood. Uh, but you know. I'm sorry. No, uh, I'm sorry. Oh uh, no! I just have a little bit of a toothache, and just you know, shit, shit, shit's getting to me a little bit. I'm having a bad day, but uh, I'll be fine. We're well, about to talk it, about trains. Any consolation? Yeah, we're going to talk about trains. You're right? a good that, friend. That does and you're so pretty. Oh, thank you, Liam. Uh, although I, I have something very embarrassing. I have a story about our guest mm. that I've got to tell. Uh, without, and I'm going to embarrass Corinne and her sisters real quick. Okay, uh, Jay, I've never told you this. Uh, <laughs> uh, so our guest today is, with all due respect to Roz, my most handsome friend. And uh, <laughs> oh when Jay, when we went to your house, uh, all three sisters were just like in love with you. <laughs> uh, they were just like he's so nice and he's so charming and he's so tall and and he brought us Coke Zeros and I was just like yeah yeah like help me steal this help me steal his dad's car like let's go let's go lock ski mask lock ski mask everybody we're gonna rob Jay's dad <laughs> yeah to be clear this was my parents house I think if they came to my apartment oh. they'd be like oh he lives like this <laughs> yeah bitch you live like this and it's just like a throat of Coke Zeros <laughs> yeah uh, so everyone's in love with Jay and if you're mm. not in love with Jay in the comments I will fuck you up it's got a very good personally. voice I mean, we have oh, so we, we have a lot so of guests with so sexy smart. voices. I'll say that. Like, we have a lot this of a lot of people would, who just have like g- yeah. good, good podcasting voices. And meanwhile, I'm just I out would, here like I am here to talk about the fucking trains or whatever. <laughs> I would let Gareth Dennis do stuff to me that he would probably laugh at. Oh yeah, oh, I mean, my God. <laughs> Hi, Roz. Um, hello. <laughs> Back on topic. Um, <laughs> Back on topic. <laughs> Can we just to... rate all of our guests by like voice sexiness? Um, that, that's uh, not I, good. It's no. a bad idea. Uh, you're right. We'll feel Gareth, bad if we break them. Away. Sorry. We, yeah. yeah we have to. We have to give everyone a ten out of. It would just be like we were eight dogs. It would not oh, it was, fuck yeah. it. No. Uh, yeah. yeah. Except for Dan. Except for Dan McQuaid on the process bonus episode. Dan, I love you, but you called in from a from a World War II field telephone. <laughs> <laughs> Our, oh, okay. Welcome to Well, There's Your Problem. It's a podcast about engineering disasters with slides. Yes, it is. I'm Justin Rosniak. I'm the person who's talking right now. My pronouns are he and him. Okay, go. I am Alice Goldwell Kelly. I'm the person who's talking now. My pronouns are she and her. Yeah, Liam. Yeah, Liam. Hi, I'm Liam Anderson. My pronouns are he, him, and we have a guest. We do. That's right. Jay, uh, for fuck's sake. I, I, this time <laughs> I'm Use on. that sexy voice, damn it. Uh, <laughs> I'm Jay. You might know me better as B. Squeichelhausen on YouTube. Uh, my pronouns are he, him, and New York Central. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, oh, my additional yeah, program, right. pronoun is Pennsylvania Railroad. Because we're doing a bit of a, a, a bit of a partisan episode here. That's right. <laughs> yeah, at the end of the episode, Jay will be executed by firing squad. It's a real shame we had to go <laughs> we're, like We're this, going but... fully like North Korean mode. We're going to turn an anti-aircraft cannon on you. Sorry about it. That, I mean, That's got to be the I least convenient way to execute someone. Yeah, you have to like hand crank the thing to aim that it. Bitch in. Oh, yeah, no. So, some fucking poor North Korean conscript is like, oh, for fuck's sake. Uh, <laughs> I have to go get the anti-aircraft gun. <sighs> You it's gotta a, like pull it along like you're a, like you're a cart donkey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's important though for these episodes that you guys have a token green hat aboard. This is true because today uh, we're going to start our three part series investigating a company known as Penn Central or 871 Days of Sodom. 
<laughs> cool logo though. It looks like a madness rune. These are the, it's the mating the worms. Mating worms, yes. Mm. Which I just realized today. Uh, it's train couplers. Oh, that's oh, smart. Yeah, that's a good point. Right? They, I was literally, I was watching a video, a hilarious video. You should all watch it. I stole an image from it later in the slides. But it's a 1968 like promotional video about like, oh yeah, how much this is going to kick ass. And it starts out with the, the P and the C kind of sliding in from across the screen and coupling with a train coupling sound effect. I'm just like, oh. That's the, what that's for. The sole oh, time I will ever feel bad for marketing guys is when they do something like this and then nobody gets it, you know? <laughs> uh, but first, we have to do the goddamn news. Big ship on fire. I mean... There's a, there's a big, big row-row uh, cargo ship on fire. In the mm -hmm. ocean, I, I I have posted here uh, two two examples of cope from Twitter uh, from a guy called Matt Farah, whose Porsche is on this is on the ship because it's mostly luxury cars. Is the thing? Oh, Matt Farah rules! Uh, if I know we're an anti car podcast, but go listen to the Smoking Tire. It's a great podcast. Yeah, we should have him on so we can laugh at him for losing his car. Um, so, 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 so this this ship has a, like a shitload of like Porsches, Bentleys, Lamborghinis, also some like VWs and Audis and shit, but that's not important. Uh, it's it, they're, they're shipping them from Emden in Germany to Rhode Island, and uh, in just off the Azores, uh, it just catches fire. And because like half of these cars have lithium-ion batteries in them, once the fire starts, it's just unfightable. Probably would be on land too. Um, Do they ship cars with fluids in them, or are those drained? I don't know, actually. As far as I know, they are drained. I think because that's called keep, dry white. I think they have to keep some in. I believe that's correct. I don't think they're totally drained, but I believe they're mostly drained. I could yeah. be wrong, so if I am, someone correct me in the comments without being too cruel to me. The good news, the good news is that the crew all got rescued by the Portuguese Navy. Um, so this thing is just and now they now they get a holiday in the Azores, which yeah, could yeah. be worse. Exactly, true, and yeah. now um, uh, this is just drifting and burning while a bunch of salvage tugs race to it because it's now in a in a sort of legal position known as finders keepers. Uh, the salvage rights to this belong to whoever gets there first, and so uh, a lot of people are trying to get there first. Uh, if you uh, feel able to go to the Mid-Atlantic, you could get yourself a lightly burned Hassan Piker car. Um, for no cost other than, like, getting out there and getting it back. Uh, could you, I, 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 are these, are these salvage tugs, like, really souped up? Like, what does it take to be defined as a salvage tug? Can you show up as a cigarette, in a cigarette boat? That's not like can you try, can you imagine trying to get one of these rest of these salvage cars titled? Like even as salvage the United States, be like, yeah, this is my uh, this is my Lamborghini Aventador. I got it off a boat. Please title my vehicle. <laughs> fell off a boat. I don't, literally fell off a boat. Please title my car. I don't think there is a definition of a salvage tug, so I think you could just show up, right? And yeah, at that you point, just, just show up in a in a in in like a dinghy with like six outboard motors on it, mm -hmm, and then mm -hmm. wait for your actual tug to show up. You know, a week and a half later, oh, unfurling a banner that says "mine." Yes. 
<laughs> not yours. Go away. I don't know. I, I feel like we're getting into the sort of uh, like portion of the uh, the law of the sea that uh, tends to involve crews fighting each other with like axe handles and shit. Yeah, like, or like uh, you know, you got you need you need to get you need a really good crew of swashbucklers. Mm. On, on your dinghy. Yeah, yes. I, I, I've, I've, I've created this yeah, sort of startup. Dinghy will fit swashbucklers. <laughs> it's just Roz in a pirate costume muttering over and over about his Audi A8. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, 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 I'm starting. I got one uh, for me and one for my parrot. <laughs> a, a new startup that's going to rehabilitate Somali pirates by turning them into salvers. Yes. Um, pirate dot Lee. Salve dot Lee. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's the gig base. <laughs> Uh, salvage tug uh, app and then hopefully once they get there they're gonna take the like remaining ship in tow and then just tow it back to the Azores uh, but yeah I'm a dirty hypocrite and I have to use the bathroom oh my oh, god fuck why didn't you go <laughs> congrats it's okay like we get to keep trip. talking about this yeah. hilarious but I feel like you need to show up in a dinghy with like painting scaffolding and mm. a pirate flag yeah, yeah, just like, get over get up the, there yeah, yeah, yeah. before anybody notices. Repaint. It's like, oh no, this is like this has been mine the whole time. See, it's re- like registered to me. Well, clearly the answer yeah, is there. Mean, there is no, there is no fire. This is just you. You set off a bunch of smoke bombs. Jesus Christ! Is he flushing an aeroplane toilet? What the fuck? Um, I, I, yeah. I like that was audible on the podcast. Yes, <laughs> Jesus. We run a classy operation here. Yeah. So what, what I'm thinking is there is no fire. This is like a collaboration between some of the crew and whoever happens to own a salvage tug that can just have it pre-positioned nearby and get a free dentist car. And, and an enormous number of like theatrical smoke machines. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. It just gets that like weird dank scent. It's like this doesn't Ooh. smell like burning Italian leather. <laughs> <laughs> This, this actually smells it's a, awful. This Lamborghini comes pre on fire. Does burning leather so smell? Do it yourself. You're just no, like downwind really of bad, you're downwind of this, and you're just like, God, that smells fucking amazing. Actually, in other I'm inhaling so much new car terrible. smell, and it's yeah. on fire. So like, it's got to be even better for me. That's true. There is other news regarding fabrics. Storm um, Eunice. Uh, is Eunice. occurring uh, in that, the United Kingdom. Whimdy. It, yeah. Uh, yeah. The, it ripped the uh, fabric roof off the Millennium Dome, which is fucking hilarious. Oh, yeah. Luck- luckily, the big boy statue that was in there is now safe in Denmark. But uh, yeah, this is the first red weather warning, which is the like, you might die one that I can remember for London, at least. Um, like, since ever. Um, and like a huge, a huge proportion of uh, the southeast of England, southwest of England, south Wales, are just uh, having sort of 90 mile an hour winds. And this is the worst storm in three decades until it isn't again, because it's just normal when the yeah. next one happens. Like, Congrats, uh, you got nor'easters now. Yeah, I guess that's yeah, more of a derecho. Um, mm, yeah, but in in, in any case, rules, dude. Yeah. yeah, it rules. We uh, killed like four people. Uh, there's a lot that of cool. Left. There's a lot of cool videos of people's uh, like wheelie bins going flying, and I mean literally flying, like you know, That's creating sort of an airfoil thing. By the wind, I think that Nate posted. Yep, today? yep. That that right, happened. Was... Also, uh, my my new favorite media phenomenon, big jet TV, which is uh, a pl- yeah. 
Yeah, I was pl- watching that this morning. <laughs> a plane spotter guy, the sort of Rodney Kantorski of planes, uh, yes. g- 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 went down to Heathrow, and for some reason, for some fucking reason, they haven't suspended flights, even in 90 mile an hour crosswinds. And so they're just landing, uh, like, full-size, like, heavy jets in these, and you have this guy filming them doing commentary. Uh, well, I don't so, know what else they could do other than land the planes. They're already up in the air, they're running out of fuel, you gotta get them no, on the just ground. leave them up there, leave them up there. <laughs> Leave him up there. <laughs> I mean, so you, aircraft need in-flight refueling too. Fl- f- fucking fly out of the area. Go to I don't know. To, I mean, okay, you can't Denmark. go. To, yeah, go to Denmark. Go to Denmark. Go see the boy. Right. Uh, you have to go to. You have to go to like Ireland or like uh, really pretty yeah. much just Ireland. That's probably the only place in range. Yeah. Well, I mean, just do that. Just do that. It'll, it'll stay up there. It's not my problem. I'm not That's a pilot. True. Just my just cra- crash randomly. Yeah, my favorite video from all of this has been the very top of a church spire getting blown off somehow, and like, Oof. I'm sure there's going to be a great photo of like the ornamental top stabbed into the grass, like perfectly. Ah, oh, but we, we can know, just like just fully uh, doing that, the hot fuzz thing, yeah, yeah, hot Exa- fuzz exactly. moment, yeah. <laughs> but it looks like it comes off, and it came off like the very top of it in like a straight line too. So it looks like you took the top off of like a Lego set and just like Ooh. flicked it over. Yeah, I mean, but, yeah. I we we got a, we got a little tiny bit of this in in, in Scotland as well. Um, like we got some pretty intense winds. We got some snow as well. But like England got it worse than Scotland, which is again unusual. Um, and I I've been seeing uh the the texts going around from uh delivery companies like you know Uber Eats or Deliver or whatever to their to their drivers, and they're just like, uh, hey, what's up, bestie? Don't die, but you still have to work. Um, <laughs> just, love you, just, just try, XL, just try and like keep hunched over on the bike. I guess have fun. Uh, if if you if you yeah. die, we will do nothing for you or your dependents. As you're flying away on a bike, going over the moon like uh, ET, you know. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I think I can actually read one of these. Let me see if I can find them. Uh, just imagining a guy like hang gliding off of one of those insulated pizza box carriers. <laughs> oh yeah, like Far Cry 3. <laughs> here we go, here we go, okay. Hello team, uh, I'm gonna redact this, hello team blank. As you may have seen from the news, we are in for a bit of windy weather, so here are our top tips to keep you safe and ready to go. And they've Ill- they've bullet pointed each top tip with a little fist emoji. Um, if, if you don't already have a winter jacket and gloves, swing by the hub and grab them. Uh, make sure you have notifications turned on in your app to receive up-to-date messages and weather alerts. Uh, practice safe driving on the roads and be extra alert. So stay warm, stay safe, and let smash Storm Eunice out of the ballpark. I don't know. I, these companies just never receive any kind of consequences for telling their staff in a very happy and chipper voice, "Hey, go out and die." <laughs> dear, yeah, exactly. dear, dear courier, there's another one of that these. Was like a few minutes ago. Yeah, dear courier, we're expecting strong wind and possible wind gusts in your city. Uh, we want to remind you to take the necessary precautions, which are as follows. 1. Watch out for wind tunnels created by strong winds between buildings. 2. Keep your body low for less wind resistance and more stability. 3. Avoid baggy clothing. 4. Bike in a lower gear than you usually would. And 5. Be on the lookout for possible flying objects, brackets, branches, garbage, etc. 
Did you get just stabbed like with a tree branch at like just, 80 just, miles just, an hour? Just dodge it. Just dodge it. Why didn't you dodge oh, yeah. it? Yeah, just, just Frogger yourself. My God. Yeah, you guys ever play Frogger? Congratulations. Yeah. You're Frogger now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's insane is that like these guys could just easily go and turn on a mandatory like minimum 20% tipping. Oh, yeah. But they won't. Yeah. Right. They won't. Well, they and won't. the crazy thing is when they do that, they keep like 15% of that tip anyway, or 15% of that 20% anyway. Mm-hmm. And the other, the other thing is, you know, I, I'm sure the, what's actually happening is the, the guy is adding special, the, the customers are adding special instructions to the, to the driver. Like, Hey, when you, when you get here, could you dance a jig? Oh, do um, the little fucking dance. Yeah. yeah no, that dance, that, yeah. that oh made me God. about the angriest of, uh, that we're, we're talking here about. Uh, just completely uh, homicidal. So, so, someone who left a, 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 a special instruction for, I think it was an Amazon courier. It was like, hey, do you, do you want to do like a fun little dance and say thank you for keeping me employed uh, when you leave my parcel? And I'm like, I, I think Amazon couriers should have rail guns, like man portable yes. rail guns. Yeah. Well, apparently it's not just that one person. Like, apparently that's a TikTok trend. I'm execution by firing squad, Alice. I agree. I no longer support the Chinese government. I, I would say someday a real rain's gonna fall, but it currently is, and they're just making them deliver in it anyway, so... Yeah. In other news... So we have to talk about the Super Bowl. Yeah, we do, because we're a sports podcast, right. and we have to stick to sports. Yes. Um, Let me do this. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Liam cracking okay. every knuckle in his body. Alright, I don't want to hear about, oh, well, if the Bengals' defense had just held up... Because you can't swallow the whistle and not, if, if you're going to let that Bengals player, I think it was T. Higgins, get away with that gruesome offensive pass interference and not call it, you can't swallow the whistle on that. And then on a third and goal situation, just, oh, it's holding. Well, it wasn't holding. That was the best play available to make. You can't swallow the whistle for 48 minutes and then just give them try after try after try. Furthermore, Aaron Donald was visibly offside on fourth and one when the Bengals went for it and they didn't call it. So it was the worst kind of ref ball, which is just like visible game interference, but not the fun kind. It was agonizing watching them do call after call as the Rams Mm -hmm. still managed to fuck up the touchdown (laughs) over and over again. And like, listen, we have to get the Rams to win so we can justify putting this $5 billion stadium or whatever it is they just built for the Rams. I regret to inform you, it was not paid with any public money uh there will be a well there's your problem on public private uh stadium partnerships i feel coming. like the fact uh, that it was not done with public money means the nfl has more of an investment in it <laughs> i just hope both teams had fun um no 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 absolutely fucking not yeah. absolutely fucking not I was, I, was, I was i was bored for like three quarters and then the last one was kind of exciting if only because it turns my my favorite thing to do with a game of american football turn a game of football into a courtroom yeah. drama um so yeah i i enjoy i enjoy the kind of football that is litigated and i had a great time this was this this was coastal elites uh uh Taking pot shots at um, at Middle America once again. I, um, I I'm firmly on the side of the coastal elites here. Like uh, you know, fucking go 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 deep state. You, I genuinely, yeah, fine, happy for the Rams. This is I, good to me. God, you suck so much, Alice. <laughs> what did you say, Jay? Los Angeles shouldn't have a football team. 
They definitely shouldn't Not have they have two football teams. I know. They I'm saying they shouldn't have any. I stopped watching football really a long time Los ago. Los Angeles just... is a one-party state, but with, tri- with typical Californian extravagance, that they have two football teams. Yes. <laughs> I stopped watching. This was my first football game and I watched in a while. And I thought, like, you know what? If they're going to not give that face mask or the OPI, fine, whatever. It deserved one makeup call at the end. And then they just kept getting the makeup calls. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Right? If you get, like, it was an obvious penalty. The face mask uh, OPI was an oh, obvious yeah. penalty. And they missed it for sure, and they scored. Great. That deserves one makeup call. Not, like, three ticky-tack ones back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. <laughs> Bullshit. I, this, this, the, 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 the Bengals losing, I believe, was a blow to middle America. It truly was in some ways, America's 9-11. This was (laughs) disgraceful. As as, as the Chiron says, the halftime show was good. It was good. Yeah. It was fine. Yeah, uh, It was good. It was too short, honestly. It was was really short, and also, uh, I would also like to complain to the manager of aging about the fact that Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre are now 9,000 years old. Yes. Yeah. It's 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 sort of rough when you're just like, oh, the music of my youth is the music of the middle age. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, R.I.P. us. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So in order to talk about the Penn Central, we need to talk first about its predecessor companies. And we're gonna talk about the Pennsylvania Railroad. We're gonna talk about the New York Central Railroad, and we're gonna talk about the New York, New Haven, and Hartford Railroad. Now, I guess one thing I should state um, to anyone who came to this podcast not knowing very much about trains, um, the Penn Central Railroad was one of the largest corporate disasters in American history. Um, largest it bankruptcy was until large, Enron. Yeah, largest Ooh. bankruptcy until Enron. And unlike you know a lot of companies that go bankrupt today, you know stuff like Lehman Brothers. Uh, or, or you know, it's it's all like just weird financialized. Yeah, it was stuff. a real company that this had was an, real employees who weren't yeah. stockbrokers. Yeah, they did actual things like bring stuff to you so you could eat. You know, um, it wasn't just a company where people went on the computer like every company today. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there have only been what like three times where the U.S. government has had to step in and nationalize train service. Yes. World War One at until this point was World War One, World War Two, and then the bankruptcy of Penn Central. Yes. So I think this is a disaster on on the approximate equivalent scale to either World War. And we're gonna we're gonna do this. This is gonna be a a, a three part episode because there's a lot to cover here. This episode is gonna cover you know prior to the merger, and then we're gonna cover some of the fun scandals that happened yeah, early on and, in the and, merger. And then once um, you've once you've seen all three episodes, you will get a hundred college credits that you can this transfer. Is this is true. Uh, Congratulations in advance. This is Absolutely. basically this is going to be more information than you get from an MBA. <laughs> <laughs> well, an MBA just teaches you how to go on the computer. Like <laughs> it's actually just two books: what yeah. they teach you at Harvard Business School and what they don't teach you at Harvard Business School. I, I find I, I mean I'm stealing this from from a tweet that went went viral years ago, but I find business school in general very funny because you, you get a bunch of people in a room and you show them a graph that you know shows says profits go up and they all take notes like it's real school. 
Um, I don't know if I can comment. Yeah. I went to film school. <laughs> law school dropouts. Uh, you, you you put a bunch of people in in a classroom. You you show them a graph that says laws go up, and then we all take notes like they're all real things. So yeah, part one we're gonna talk about some of the 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 fun scandals towards the end of this. Part two we're gonna talk about some of the I, I guess economic factors and really the the short and horrible life of the Penn Central. And part three we're gonna <laughs> talk about Conrail. The Consolidated Rail Corporation, which is, um, of course, America's experiment with long-term railroad nationalization, um, but without any kind of socialist impulse, and um, you know, sort of, I guess the political <laughs> accidentally econo- made a Georgist mm-hmm. railroad. Yeah, I mean, and so, some of the the political economic uh, effects of that, because um, you know, I, I know there's like. You know, we need to bring back Conrail. We need to nationalize the railroads. Well, we got to look at Conrail as Conrail was, which was oh god, must we actually existing socialism? Yeah, no, uh, actually existing, not socialism. (laughs) (laughs) With that said, it was better than anything we've had before or since. But we can do better than Conrail too. Yeah, and there's an interesting uh, side uh, thing that I want to explore there, which is the time. The government tried to divest itself from Conrail, and the only credible build, bidder was Conrail's own union, um, oh. which I think is one of those one of those points in history where maybe the left could have gained power uh, prior uh, after you know you know the Reagan Revolution, and it just didn't happen. Yeah, but that's for episode no. three. <laughs> yeah, the 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 executives were like. Oh God, absolutely not! We can't do that. Yes, seize it! <laughs> seize it! Seize it! So anyway, we're going to start with the origins of the Pennsylvania Railroad. Um, so in the 1830s, um, there was a problem, which is how do we get people and goods to Pittsburgh, right? Wagon. And the Great Lakes, by extension. Yeah, going by wagon was very, very bad. You had the Lag- Lancaster Pike, which actually went all the way to Harrisburg. You could get from Philadelphia to Harrisburg. Philadelphia is where the port was. To Harrisburg in a couple days. And then setting off from Harrisburg on a horse and cart, it took you between 18 and 34 days uh, to get all the way to Pittsburgh, right? Mm -hmm. At which point you could do river shipping again, right? Um, So the Pennsylvania legislature commissioned the main line of public works again in the late 1820s, early 1830s. This was a system of canals and inclined planes, right? You know, and railroads, which was designed to bring people from one side of the state to the other. Um, and this was okay at best, right? Yeah, um, beats beats a wagon. Yeah, it beats a wagon, but you know, main line of public works is an oxymoron. It didn't work very well at all. Not, um, not so good. No. Yeah, because you had to transfer freight from a canal boat onto a train car, back onto a canal boat, back onto a train car. Eventually, they invented canal boats that could separate into sections. Just put those on train cars, which is kind of cool, but it wasn't very good. So uh, Philadelphia businessmen started making noises about, what if we build a railroad clear across the state, right? This is in competition with the Erie Canal up in New York, which Jay will talk about probably. Um, And uh, this is, uh, so the idea was we build a railroad clear across the state. You get to Pittsburgh real quick and easy. Uh, In 1847, the Pennsylvania Railroad was incorporated as one of the first, you know, formal corporations of any kind, right? Uh, At least in the modern sense. Uh, J. Edgar Thompson was the chief engineer. 
Later, the president of the railroad, he surveyed the first route, including the Horseshoe Curve, uh, you know, and uh, this double track Pennsylvania Railroad that was built very quickly rendered the main line of public works obsolete almost immediately. And Thompson, later appointed president, grew the Pennsylvania Railroad from the sort of regional railroad in Pennsylvania to the largest corporation in the world in something like 20 years, right? And also made Pennsylvania itself sort of a, a corporate state under his whim, right? Yes. That wasn't yeah. perfected until later, though. Okay. Um, you know, and this, they interchange with other railroads. Eventually, they acquire them outright. That sort of happens in the 1880s. The Philadelphia, Baltimore, and Washington, the United Companies in New Jersey, several companies west of Pittsburgh that became a division known as Lines West. The furthest extent the Pennsylvania Railroad got was Omaha, Nebraska. Jesus. Um, but they eventually That's what, 1,200, 1, 1, miles? Something like that, yeah. They eventually doing, sold doing 19th that. century cyberpunk. Yes, P Pennsylvania. It goes all the way to Nebraska, apparently. <laughs> um, but eventually they, they sold off that section of the railroad. And uh, the furthest extent in uh, the more modern era was St. Louis and Chicago, right? In the Civil War, they did very well. Other railroads like the B&O, Baltimore and Ohio, they suffered huge damage in the Civil War. The Pennsylvania Railroad was far enough north that uh, Lee never quite got there, um, except there was some damage to lines near York, Pennsylvania, which I forget if that was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, York, York, Pennsylvania, a little bit of local history, is the most northerly town occupied by the Confederacy during the Civil War. Uh, we surrendered without a fight. <laughs> <laughs> they, they wanted it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Central Pennsylvania never changes, man. <laughs> so this guy, uh, Tom Scott of YouTube fame, became president of the Pennsylvania Railroad. <laughs> and, um, I'm here today at the Pennsylvania Railroad. Yes. <laughs> no, Tom Scott became president, I believe, shortly after the Civil War. I didn't write down when. Um, he used his... He was, um, he was not so much a... Because the Pennsylvania Railroad was traditionally controlled by like military engineer guys, right? Because hmm, that was the only way of learning to become an engineer at that point. West yeah, Point you, freaks, you yeah. went to West Point. You were commissioned as an officer for six months. You resigned. You went to go work on the railroad. Mm. Um, but Tom Scott was more of a people person, right? Um, and he was very good at being a people person. And he used his influence and schmoozing to sort of completely control the Pennsylvania state legislature, right? In Pennsylvania, it was said that, you know, if you referred to the president, right, people had to clarify whether you were talking about the president of the country or the president of the railroad. Yeah, who has more power. Yes. Um, at its height, the Pennsylvania Railroad had a larger budget than the U.S. government's. Jesus. <laughs> Um, now, the farther west you went in Pennsylvania, the more people hated the railroad. This came to head in 1877 during the Great Railroad Strike that brought the entire country to its knees, right? Uh, workers were upset over pay cuts and rule changes that reduced the number of crews to handle freight. Um, huge swaths of Pennsylvania Railroad infrastructure was destroyed or burnt in, the, in riots that followed. Um, these riots were something like a quarter of them were railroad workers, and then the other 75% were people who were just mad at the railroad in general. Yeah, and people who just like a riot. Yeah, they just yeah. want to burn stuff down, yeah. The it's, French. A, it's, a, it's a little bit of free street theater, right? Exactly. Most of the damage, the, the worst damage and the worst riots were in Pittsburgh, and this was solved 
Uh, this riot was violently crushed by way of Philadelphia declaring war on Pittsburgh. <laughs> right, good. good. Uh, under Alexander Cassett, um, thousands of National Guardsmen from Philadelphia were brought in, uh, and uh, they, you know, just started beating people, shooting cannon at them, whatever, you know. Uh, and everyone, That's everyone, a very abrupt sort of switch and use of force there. Yes, I believe I, I, Tom Scott. I believe uh, had had pulled some political strings to get the president Rutherford Hayes to allow them to send the National Guard in in that way. Um, Jesus Christ! And this is uh, this is why Philadelphia and Pittsburgh hate each other. Um, <sighs> no, it's not that. It's that the Penguins beat us well, in every sport every that, year, except that, baseball. That's, that's Pittsburgh's revenge for us murdering <laughs> them. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and listen, listen. I normally, normally, this is a pro labor, pro rights podcast, but not mm-hmm. today. Uh, <laughs> Pittsburgh deserves to suffer. I mean, the the lesson is clear, right? Anytime Pittsburgh beats beats Philadelphia at any sort of sporting event, you should have the National Guard wheel in some cannon. Yes. Well, we do actually. Every time the every time Sidney Crosby scores, we have a Pinkerton detail follow him to his hotel <laughs> and stand over him with a thirty eight until he leaves town. <laughs> <laughs> So um yeah this uh the the crushing of the strikers was supervised by Alexander Cassett who was uh the brother of Mary Cassett the impressionist painter uh-huh. um but yeah he personally oversaw the restoration of order um in the meantime Tom Scott had transcontinental ambitions uh Don't he started a railroad called the uh Texas and Pacific the idea being he'd connect the Pennsylvania railroad to the west coast but he had difficulty acquiring the charters he needed to, wait, to get wait, that railroad I'm a little built. unclear on this. When you say he, like he personally or he, like with Pennsylvania Railroad money uh, or he like... personally. Okay. Right? Be, being president of Pennsylvania is not enough for him. This is true, yeah. He must also be president of Texas and mm-hmm. the whole Pacific. And no, actually it's... the whole country. Uh, mm-hmm. What's pretty crazy is that a bunch of these like different railroad moguls and things just like operate the railroads on their whim yes pretty considerable it's like yeah no it's my railroad i think it would be i mean there was no like business science really it's just like yeah we should go connect to there and then all of a sudden you know ten thousand guys were out there trying to build tracks through some godforsaken mountain range or whatever yes so you could bring your your terrible little steam engines you know take five days to get from albany to boston or whatever but god damn it you could do it <laughs> so in order for tom scott to uh uh secure his necessary charters um he uses his influence in congress um in the sort of political gambit which i think is too complex to explain here fully to get rutherford b hayes elected as a republican right but on the platform to secure more Southern Republicans, uh, Southern support, um, not Republican support necessarily, on the platform of really winding back Reconstruction, right? Oh yeah, he yeah. like inadvertently yeah. Uh, yeah. Just, just sort of ended Reconstruction. Yeah. Yes. Um, and in return, Tom Scott would get approvals for the Texas and Pacific. Right? This shit never would have happened if uh, fucking Benjamin Butler had agreed to be Lincoln's vice president. Yes. <laughs> and and so Rutherford Hayes was elected, but he decided as a show that he was independent never to grant Tom Scott his uh, uh his charters. So the, t- the <laughs> wow. TNT remained- I'm going to do the bad thing, but I'm also not going to allow myself to do it because I've been bribed. 
Yes. No. No. So instead, he, uh, you know, he just did not. Um, he didn't grant those approvals. He did end Reconstruction. He did destroy the Republicans <laughs> in the South. L- liberals for will really be like, um, you know, this is a victory for democracy. Uh, <laughs> he, he did directly, you know, cause uh, the resurgence of the Klan and lynchings and all that mm-hmm, other stuff. Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. Reconstruction was just suddenly ended for no goddamn reason. Um, so yeah, um, uh, among among the crimes of the Pennsylvania Railroad, that's a big one. Um, uh, yeah, that's not so good. <laughs> the, perhaps the most American thing is to like end Reconstruction because of a series of scams that also don't come off. Yes. <laughs> um, so now the Pennsylvania Railroad avoided direct competition with its rival, the New York Central, until the rail the Pennsylvania Railroad acquired the West Shore Railroad. That's West Shore, the Hudson which paralleled the New York Central in 1880, right? Uh, William H. Vanderbilt was very unhappy with this, so he acquired the charter, the charter of the unbuilt South Pennsylvania Railroad, right? Which had rights to build from Reading to Pittsburgh and started construction. Um, now, financier J.P. J. Morgan, right? I've heard of this guy. Yes, the him he, of the massive nose. Yeah, uh, he had investments in both railroads, mostly the New York Central, uh, he saw this was not good because it would lead to destructive competition, right? These two railroads would actually compete with each other, then rates would go down, then no one would make any money. Yeah, that's not how you do business in the 19th and early 20th centuries. The way you do business is you form a series of uh, cartels inside a trade with each other, and then J.P. Morgan makes a shitload of money. Now there was a there is a genuine argument against um, destructive competition because railroad competition in the 1800s was a, generally a disaster for everyone involved. Mm. Everything ran on a shoestring budget because rates had to be so low, but that meant service was unreliable. So everyone hated the railroads because they, you know, they still. It, it we're, we'll get into destructive competition later. Um, there there was an extent to which you know a monopoly was bad and competition was worse. <laughs> but, but Justin, yeah. I, I I heard once that the free of the markets, the free of the people. Oh uh, well, we're we're in a free market, um, and J.P. Morgan yeah, uses the free market, market to get his way. He invites <laughs> Vanderbilt and George Roberts, who was the P- Pennsylvania Railroad president at the time. He invites them both to his yacht, the Corsair. This is in 1895. I want to say in the summer. Not not really helping the whole robber baron thing to name your yacht the Corsair. Yeah, no. Um, and he said, we have to come to some kind of arrangement here. And the guests, and then, and then both of them were like, no, nah, we're, we're just going to, we're going to do this. And he's like, all right, we're not going back to shore until you come to an agreement. <laughs> Get swimming. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, in the middle of the night, they got back to shore. Uh, the Pennsylvania Railroad sold the West Shore to the New York Central Railroad. And the South Pennsylvania Railroad uh, was canceled. Um, and this started a long sort of informal ceasefire between the two railroads, uh, at least on the, in the eastern states, right? Mm. My favorite fun fact about the South Pennsylvania Railroad is that enough construction was done to sort of clear a right-of-way, uh, and Pennsylvania turned around and used that for the turnpike. Yes. Huh. Yes, they sure did. So... Thank the New York Central for uh, for your Pennsylvania Turnpike. Thank you, um, New York Central. That's right. <laughs> so, uh, Reeswood, baby. 
our previously mentioned friend of labor, Alexander Cassett, became uh, <laughs> president in 1899, began planning some of the largest public works undertaken in history to this oh, point. No. So the New York Connecting Railroad, for instance, would you know, uh, allow the Pennsylvania Railroad to put a station smack dab in the middle of Manhattan, which is the New York Central's territory, and also connect to the New York, New Haven, and Hartford to get trains up to Boston. Um, you know, and this was, they built Penn Station. They built some of the first mainline underwater tunnels under the Hudson and East Rivers. They built the Hellgate Bridge, uh, and they wound up electrifying their whole main line from uh, Washington, D.C. to New York City over the next 30 years or so. Uh, mm. Penn kept expanding and improving their physical plant. They put in more tracks, automatic block signaling, grade separation, uh, both between, uh, you know, Grade separation between roads and the railroad, and grade separation between different sections of the railroad. Yeah, we, and, uh, the, 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 this is your positive composition. We accidentally made the uh, most advanced railroad in the world for a hundred years because we were trying to own New York. Yes. Um, yes. You had a automatic train stop. You know, for for when trains ran signals. You had a you know advanced telegraph telephone systems. They invented the train phone which was a way that you could use magnetic induction to uh, have a telephone on the train, on the moving train. Um, Holy shit, that's sick. Yeah, it, 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 either, it, it was either relayed through the rails or through adjacent telegraph lines. Fuck, that rules. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a, a real bastard if you model trains, though, because all the Pensy equipment has these incredibly fine little wires across the tops of the roofs. This is true, yeah. <laughs> Which you just immediately smash with the finger taking it out of the damn box. <laughs> <laughs> and during this era, they, they called themselves the standard railroad of the world. And this is Because for... everybody else was deluxe. <laughs> <laughs> Thank this you, Rodney. Was, this was because all of their, um, you know, a lot of their equipment was very standardized, right? And it was standardized almost to a fault. You know, they were still building cars that had been designed in 1908 and the 20s. Um, but it was also a marketing scheme. And one of the things that helped their marketing scheme was that uh, one of their employees invented the concept of public relations. Mm. Uh, yeah, that was Ivy Ledbetter Lee, right? Um, what, he, uh, he invented both public relations and crisis communications. Uh, he, he was one of the guys who could go out and really issue a press release that would stop the press asking questions about like two trains that crashed into each other and a million people died. Wait. Right. Absolutely not shooting anybody with cannons. Um, no. Uh, no. Well, he was able to... There was a scandal, I forget in what year, where someone discovered that in Broad Street Station, which was the Philadelphia, the main Philadelphia station of the Pennsylvania Railroad, and also the company headquarters, someone discovered that the attic had been converted into an armory where management stocked rifles in case of labor unrest. <laughs> And um, Jesus and so Christ, dude! Ledbetter Lee here said, "Oh no, these are for protection of the passengers." <laughs> and, again, uh, again, sure. Against, sure. I don't know. And the press accepted that. Space um, aliens. Yeah. yeah. And then Lee Lee was very good at his job. He went on to do PR for illustrious groups like Standard Oil, the Democratic National Convention, Bethlehem Steel. <laughs> And of course, the National Socialist German Workers' Party. Um, <laughs> I mean, so you like the man had a consistent ideology. Yes. <laughs> so, 
So between when they started electrifying the railroad in World War II, despite the depression, you know, it, it marks some of the high points of Pennsylvania railroad engineering, high speed luxury trains. You had lots of trains that could be run on not so much track. So high traffic density, but the railroad stagnation and like their organizational sense was sort of evident by this point. Uh, but they, they, you know, you had a sort of old aging sclerotic management, which wouldn't really be a problem until after the war. Um, you know, and they're all, they're all mainline, you know, weird Protestant guys, right? Mm. Uh, very, very Republican. Um, sure. Very, very, uh, they, they, they were, they, they were extremely racist in that peculiar mainline way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, where the, the kind where, where they uh, just happened to uh, tamper with the amount of scholarships the black kids from West Philly get. Yeah. But, they, it, but you know, if one of them gets the Ruan scholarship, they're nice enough. I'm if fine. They, if they get through the sieve. I'm fine with the blacks and Jews as long as they don't come to my country club. That's the sort of thing we're, we're, mm. we're, we're looking at yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, I'm familiar. <laughs> That's and that's also because when I go to the country club, I drink eighteen beers and I try to fight the CFO. <laughs> I'm not banned for being Jewish. I'm banned for being an asshole. Um, now, never despite this, the Pennsylvania Railroad was famous for never suspending the dividend during uh, the Depression. Right, so if you own Pennsylvania Railroad stock, you were still making a return on it. That's back from when stock was based on real stuff like dividends, as opposed to now when it's based on fake stuff. Like, yeah, um, when it's based Tesla. on going on the computer, yeah. Yeah. Tesla doesn't pay a dividend, which I thought was wild. Um, do do th they not? They don't pay a dividend. That's insane. Uh, <laughs> Their stock do, is worth they, so much, and it's just based on being worth a lot. <laughs> do we mention that they don't electrify west of Pittsburgh because they were busy playing the, paying the dividend? They, um, I'm not sure if that was the reason. But yes, they planned to electrify out to Pittsburgh. That never happened. Um, it was mostly, it was Washington, D.C. to New York City um, and Philadelphia to Harrisburg. That's most of what got electrified. Honestly, look at a map of electrified mainline rail in the U.S. today. And that's what the Pennsylvania Railroad that's electrified. What they did, yeah. It's all Pennsylvania yeah, and then they Railroad. Just and, it's like a lost technology, yeah. like hubs. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, now, during World War II, you had this huge increase in railroad traffic, and then the high quality of the Pennsylvania Railroad's physical plant starts to helps to stymie some of the horrible damage that occurred to other railroads because you know all the equipment got such a pounding it was being run so much, right? Uh, but deferred maintenance was a problem by the end of the war, especially the passenger facilities, which was very bad because passenger traffic after the war dropped off significantly, right? Mm. I I do want to mention too, I. Uh, if you don't think the Pennsylvania Railroad was important, uh, German saboteurs uh, who are captured off Long Island as part of the United States, uh, United States government's cooperation with the mob, you can read about it, Operation Underworld. Uh, one cool of the targets name. of sabotage, yeah, one of the targets of sabotage was Horseshoe Curve. And the Hellgate Bridge, both Pennsylvania Road. You were saying when we were putting these slides together, I couldn't put the Hellgate Bridge on as a Pennsylvania Railroad uh, thing. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> this is a very so, partisan podcast recording. Yes, oh, that's yeah, right. We, have, we love you, Jay. <laughs> um, Although you will be executed by firing squad at the end of this episode. By anti-aircraft cannon. We've yeah. been over this, yeah. You'll have to go through Rodney myself. first. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, now, after the war uh, and the Pennsylvania Railroad, they're still going okay. Um, they they start building some of the largest and most advanced steam locomotives ever constructed. This is uh, one of their big duplex locomotives. It's duplex because it has two sets of driving wheels with two sets of cylinders, so it can make better use of all the steam that the huge boiler has. You were running into problems where you're generating a huge amount of steam, and you couldn't, you physically couldn't put it through one set of cylinders. You needed two. I um, love this thing. It's yeah. so overbuilt. It is oh, very yeah. cool. They built it's not a, even articulated either. Like most yeah, ones, that it's, have. it's a rigid yeah, frame. It, yeah. And they they uh they built several classes of these. Some of them went really fast, like this T1. Then they had the uh, Q2, which is funny because it used a uh it had four. It was a four four six four. Yeah. So so I had to do that in my head trying two, to picture that. It had two sets of driving wheels, but there was a different number of driving wheels on each set. Um, no one else ever did that. The <laughs> awesome shit about this is like some of these giant duplex logos had these huge fuck off pipes for all the steam going past them. They were just absurdly cool looking. And these things, uh, you know, they were very advanced. They had like automatic train stop. They had cab signaling. They had, you know, automatic stokers. They had all, a whole nine yards. Uh, these were very modern locomotives for the late 40s. Notably, uh, did did not have speedometers, which is how we don't know that, uh, or not all of them had speedometers, which is that was, why we- Yeah, that was long Pennsylvania Railroad tradition, no speedometers in the locomotives. Yeah, just eyeball it. Yes. But it just says fast. Yeah. <laughs> These, in theory, are faster than Mallard. Are mm. faster than Mallard. In theory. Uh, so they're building, they're building a new one. Just hey, to- Alice, you know how you don't speak German? <laughs> <laughs> I do speak German. Oh. Yeah. Get her. Somebody get her. <laughs> take her away, boys. They're building a new one of these uh, um, to take that they're trying. back. They're, yeah, fucking they're, trying. Yeah, they're trying. They're doing it. I am yeah, shocked every time it. I go back they, to their yeah, website they, and they've cast a new driver or whatever. Or they, well, they have the full boiler done and they got full the firebox done. done. The cab is done. The firebox is done. I think uh, they've got three or four drivers done. They got the whole tender, the last one of its yeah. type. Uh, the frame is like out for bid or something like that. It's crazy. They're going to do it, yeah. which is ridiculous. Yes. Um, but, you know, the Pennsylvania Railroad, as big and successful as it was in the after the war, you know, you, you started to succumb to the pressures from the trucking industry, from, uh, you know, uh, passengers who could afford their luxury trains could also afford to fly Pan Am. Right. Mm-hmm. You had um, you, 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 you subject to sort of the large decline that was the entire industry that was subject to. And, um, you know, a lot of their revenue, you know, they had to sort of focus on, you know, bulk traffic. They had to focus on uh, all your East Coast railroads were subject to the same economic pressures. And that's a lot of what we're going to talk about in the next episode. But, you know, interstate highway systems, so on and so forth, you know, freight shipping to trucks, uh, you know, industrial sprawl. Again, that's, that's next episode. But now we have to talk about the New York Central. That's right, baby. That's Jay. So, New York Central. Uh, we'll start at the very, very beginning. Uh, in the 1820s, there was a problem. How do you get goods to Buffalo? Uh, Wagon. Well, Carry them. that's how you did it originally. But uh, New York State built the Erie Canal. Uh, this was a canal, basically. It was like if the main line of public works worked. Uh, and also, if it didn't have to have a bunch of inclines and go over a bunch of mountains and shit, 
because uh, New York is much flatter than uh, than Pennsylvania. So the Erie Canal was a, a publicly managed canal uh, linking Buffalo and Albany, which kind of more specifically uh, linked the Great Lakes and the Atlantic without having to uh, dive over Niagara Falls, which hmm. good thing to avoid. Yeah, you have to put all the goods into a barrel for that. And it's like, mm. yeah, all the goods, all the crew members. There's just a lot of barrels. Yeah. Uh, great, great for Coopers, but uh, everyone else not so much. So, basically, if you ever look at all the, if you know more cities in the state of New York other than New York City, chances are pretty good they're either along the Hudson or along the Erie Canal. That's basically just where everything grew up. Uh, so you know, Albany, Utica, Syracuse, Buffalo, Schenectady, uh, all these places with their. Albany expressions and whatnot. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I knew you. Were, I was ready for you setting up for that. And I figured I'd I was, diffuse yeah, that. Yeah, you, you actually did. Yeah, <laughs> that was going to be my next thing. And you took the words right out of my mouth. Uh, but, just, just as revenge for that, I'm just going to interrupt you with the drop of it that I have. <laughs> so, like, please, please continue as normal and like enter a full sense of security. Got it. Uh, so you can't Steam have. Hams. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, see, I thought you were going to wait until later and really get me to Okay. <laughs> so you can't have any. See, now I've lost it. Thank you. That's. So I'm, a, I'm a master of the psychological warfare shit. Like, yeah. Truly. Oh, boy. Uh, you can't have a big public amenity like this in the early to mid 1800s without businessmen and financiers wanting to take advantage of it. Uh, hmm. God forbid, right? JP Morgan again poking his enormous nose into it. Yes. Pretty much. So I'm not. I'm not joking about that. If you look up a picture of JP no, Morgan, had, it's like a fucking, it was a fucking yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I know something about big noses and greed. Let me tell you. <laughs> oh my! Steamed hams. Thank you, Alice. <laughs> so we got the uh, business people want to do this, and you can't really build a parallel canal. That would be way too expensive. So it's time Very to rely funny, on that though. cool new technology, the railroad. So a whole bunch of small little railroads kind of each paralleling the Erie Canal and linking adjacent cities, you know, Buffalo to Rochester, Rochester to Syracuse, Syracuse to Utica, Utica to Albany. I think it was a specific, another one, a separate one from Albany to Troy, which are like the same city now. Uh, And of course, Albany down to New York City were all separate small railroads. And in 1853, they were all combined and merged together to make the New York Central. Mm. Uh, The main line went. Uh, straight from New York City up to Albany, then turned west at Buffalo. And because it was basically all paralleling rivers and canals, incredibly flat, uh, which is extremely different to the twisty, mountainous, curvy uh, Pennsylvania Railroad. Like, there's nothing like... It's handy for shipping goods, and then once you've built that, you can also, as this pamphlet says, take your wife along. Yeah, It's true. I'm amazed the uh, the return limit is three months, so you could mm. really go on quite the uh, expedition. Why, why yeah. not bring the ultimate piece of brake bolt cargo, your wife? <laughs> <laughs> do we do we talk about Cornelius Vanderbilt overthrowing the government of Nicaragua? I, I mean, that was like recreational for him. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, that's just sort of the things that you did. Uh, yeah, especially if you're named Cornelius. I was well. You're about to get into some fun stuff, and be careful about what you say. Mm. <laughs> uh, so, uh, it was famously purchased pretty soon after kind of 
amalgamation into one railroad uh, by Cornelius Vanderbilt, who is a uh, distant relative of mine, uh, hmm. to the point where I was, if I was going to be a girl, I was going to be named Cornelia. Uh, they should have. They should have stuck with the Cornelius, though. I think. Yeah, that would have been fun. Um, <laughs> uh, also, a relative of Anderson Cooper. Oh, oh yeah, uh, whose mother Co- was Gloria Vanderbilt. Um, so he basically went and used his massive influence of being a shipping mogul, robber baron, industrial tycoon, whatever the hell you want to call them, mm. to collect and merge in other railroads. So the the big four, the Michigan Central, a whole bunch of smaller lines, the Boston and Albany, uh, the Pittsburgh and Lake Erie. So pretty much all the kind of thicker lines on this map, uh, <clears throat> except for the one between New York, Albany and Albany to Buffalo, were mm. these extra railroads that he brought in. Uh, and basically, it led to a 13,000 mile network that uh, really kind of took over the whole northeastern U.S. Um, and northeastern, again, sort of being relative because it went as far as St. Louis to the west, which not quite as far as Nebraska. Um, but it also went farther south than the Pennsylvania did. It made it to Cairo, uh, Illinois, which is where the Mississippi and Missouri rivers meet and a site that basically everybody thought would be this big, huge mega city to rival New York. and sweet fa ever happened there's still time there is <laughs> still, still time, time. yeah uh <laughs> crime capital of the world is it really oh <laughs> uh, dude cairo is rough at least from what i understand i read cairo, some reports it's on cairo it. it's cairo right didn't i say cairo no, you, said you said cairo, cairo yeah oh my fault yeah cairo from what i understand is very rough i obviously could be wrong but i don't think i am now just need to scratch that off my list of like deeply nerdy railroad tourism destinations We'd probably go there and not be killed. No, you have to go, Jay. V- visit, visit Cairo, be killed. Jay, you're like eight and a half feet tall, dude. You're gonna be fine. Got those Vanderbilt jeans, you yeah. know? I, look, if, if the, I might have some of the jeans barely, but uh, none of the Jay, money. I have, I have seen your cheekbones, sir. <laughs> no, I mean, you, you, you get attacked by a poorer person, the genetics just kick in. Before you know it, you're like beating them unconscious with Batman? a diamond-tipped yeah. cane. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. he's got the Batman car. See, I need to get the... I, I have a good cane that is in my name, but it's in India, oh, no. and I need it. I, mm. I told them the story of how you think Jay is handsome. He is so handsome. See? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that made the podcast and I'm not just uh, yes. <laughs> leaving him just thanking nothing uh, anyway New York Central went from St. Louis and Cairo all the way to Montreal and Boston uh, including like some pretty substantial lines up through southern Ontario oh yeah um, which is pretty cool and a route that you cannot take by train today because the border crossing doesn't really let you do that once oh, again well. Canadian 9-11 is yeah Critically for New York Central, they had exclusive access to uh, Manhattan until 1910 when the Pennsylvania Railroad and Cassett went and built Penn Station and the Connecting Railroad. Woo! Uh, it was a <laughs> pretty big deal because everybody else, you had to get off in Jersey and take a boat. Uh, so it was a huge uh, outlay and a huge like, or not outlay, it was a huge like promotional piece to be like, yeah, we'll actually get you to Manhattan. Unlike mm. everybody else, we have to get on a boat like some common scum. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Is that the Braz J? Just the, the PRR then ends at Hoboken, right? 
Uh, or Jersey the, the City. Pennsylvania Railroad ended exchange at place. Exchange Place, which is in Jersey exchange City, place. yeah. Yeah, right, where you okay, exchange to the fair. Okay, yeah, because we have a stolen, I mean, definitely not stolen <laughs> sign from Hoboken Terminal. <laughs> nice. We have a legitimately acquired sign. Yeah, my parents sit on a ton of railroad memorabilia that they won't explain where it came from. It was adrift at sea and on fire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was adrift Absolutely. at sea. Absolutely. Yes. You have salvage rights over this sign. But yeah, it was what? The the Hoboken was the Erie Lackawanna. The Erie yes. Lackawanna, there we go. Yeah. But you know, it used to be if you ever look at Jersey City, the reason why it's all modern and new buildings is because it was a hundred percent railroad terminals. Uh, because the only way to get to New York City proper by train was our good pals at, at the New York Central. Hmm. Yeah. Um, all of their railroads were focused on low grades following rivers. So even the ones that they bought and you know they were bought early enough that they were still mostly charters and things. Fuck so hills. Built them. Yeah. Fuck hills. Yeah. But really, what this lets you do is build faster trains and use smaller locomotives. So you never got any huge articulated locomotives or duplex drive locomotives. Basically anywhere. No, the New York Central Railroad does not believe in topography. No, you just go flat yeah. and you follow the river. And honestly, it's it's why that if you ever look at some of those crayon maps of the U.S. high speed rail network, a lot of it follows former New York Central routes in the Northeast, uh, because that's you know, apart from a couple twisty pieces and curves and bad junctions and things, you got your straight flat railroad right here. People are too too cowardly to build an Allegheny base tunnel. Yes, they are. That's true. Uh, So, next slide, please. Now, this is probably what you're familiar with the New York Central for. Uh, They're pretty kick-ass streamliners. Um, They were some of the earliest sort of traditional streamliners, uh, even though they were steam and came after some of the diesel ones. Uh, They were special locomotives pulling more standard cars. Uh, Instead, like the really early streamliners were these wild kind of integrated train sets. Um, Mm. They commissioned Henry Dreyfus to make all of these. He's a famous industrial designer, and you'd sort of see his influence on all yeah, of this I, stuff. I, and I love all of them. I mean, Very, you, yeah. you just I, look I mean, at these, you're just like... <sighs> just Art Deco icons. And one of the big things that he did was he also modernized the interiors. So I don't have any shots of it here because they're all really low res. Um, but they were very bright and modern, and like they'd still feel kind of modern Slightly like retro, kind of like but streamlined, like, modern kind of thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, in a, in a major way, and yeah. this like in a huge contrast. I mean, you could just see sort of the the Beaux Arts buildings and things around. Uh, yeah, I mean, you see why in. people like wherefore you get the sort of like watercolor poster of like steel mills and like progress and shit. Is this this looks like it's been dropped in from space? Um, it really does. And like everything else in your life looks like you know basically unchanged since the 1890s, except maybe it has an internal combustion engine on it. And then this fucking thing shows up. I mean, it's it's wild. Absolutely. Uh, well, it's also really too. cool. Uh, Sorry, I was just thinking along those lines. Like, have you ever seen um, uh, Le Corbusier's photographs of his own buildings, where mm. where he always puts a, a 1920s car. In front of his incredibly modern building, um, the building still looks modern today, but the car looks antiquated as all hell. Um, you know, this Absolutely. is, I guess, sort of a similar contrast. Well, I, I, I don't know, maybe not similar. It just, it, it, it reminds me. Um, mm. Yeah. But what was, what was incredible with this too is they were so concerned about kind of the overall experience on these trains that they, you know, the interiors, the exteriors. 
They had special features. So the 20th Century Limited, which is the one on the left, uh, had a barber on it. <laughs> with the idea being that it ran a schedule. So you'd finish up work in New York City. You would get on the train. You would pull out of, the, of Grand Central. Uh, and then you'd have dinner up on the way. You'd fall asleep sort of around Albany. Then you'd wake up the next morning. You'd send your shoes to the sh- onboard shoe shiner. You'd go and get your hair cut. And you were in Chicago ready to start the workday 9 a.m. the next day. Incredible. Which just the, like uh, that. Broadway Limited also had a barber to compete with them. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, those are the two the two big rivals, the New York like Central 20th century. Raises too, I have to imagine. Literal oh, and yeah. figurative. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bouncing along on jointed rail. As oh well. my God. Yeah. Yeah. This with is before a, yeah, getting a straight rail, razor yeah. shave. Um, but yeah, so like these were very kind of scrappily, not scrappily put together, that's sort of the wrong word, but like. They really made the most of existing infrastructure. The train on the right, the Mercury, uh, or that's the Mercury train set. Uh, the cars for there were old commuter cars that they went huh. and rebuilt for this. So instead of, at first, instead of purchasing um, bespoke lightweight cars or whatever, they just said, we're going to give this to an industrial designer to really trick out and make nice. And this is it running down, this is Syracuse, right? Where I it just ran down Syracuse. the middle of the street. Um, yeah, though the Mercury yeah. never ran to Syracuse. I think this was a demonstration run showing off how sick their train is. But the Which 20th Century Limited yeah. would just like come through at like 60 miles an hour, right? <laughs> I'm not 100% sure because I, this, you know, obviously I went and found this picture. This is the famous one that everybody tries to recolor and gets wrong. <laughs> um, but, what did they get wrong about the recoloring out of curiosity? It's just that I think they make it way too blue when it was really more of a silver. Mm. You'll learn it. Sadly, none of these survive. You'll learn more about why later. Um, so kind of hard to know. But anyway, uh, so these Mercuries, yeah, they ran between Cleveland, Chicago, Cincinnati and Detroit. So it was kind of a streamliner hub based around Detroit. Uh, you know, tons of trains between New York City and Chicago, uh, including one, the, the Wolverine up through Canada, north of Lake Erie. The as Wolverine? Well. The Wolverine. Uh, I, yeah. I, I, one, one tradition I do admire the Americans for is, blue, Alice. Uh, is, is a named train. Um, like, a good a, a, as a service. Trains. As a service, rather than like the individual like uh, locomotive or whatever being named. And there's, as you say, there's some good names. Yeah. All the Northeast regionals had names until like 2001. They did, and they were mostly just the old Pennsylvania Railroad names too, which was hilarious. Yeah, and a lot of them were a lot less, a less sexy, right? Mm. For every Twilight Shoreliner or Twilight Limited, there was a Bay States or New England States or you know a bunch of garbage like that. You all get really fucked up on the overnight fast mail. Overnight fast. <laughs> the, uh, New York Central ran the fast James mail. Whitcomb Riley. That's the fast Liam backwards, Roz. That's how you know it's a good train. My dad I'm, I, has I'm still my dad hmm. has stories about his college friends who uh everyone took the fast mail to get home uh from uh GW. And um he had stories about people who had been banned from the fast mail. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Insane. I'm like, still. I'm just still riding the high of the 20th century limited as a as a name. Like I, I, I think the sort of the unspoken a dynamic of of this three part episode is uh like Pennsylvania Railroad and the New York Central are like 
the the Team Fortress Two teams, right? Like, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> and me as a sort of agnostic here, me in the middle. This is like, uh, y- y- you know, Justin on the one hand and Jay on the other, each trying to like pull me into their camp. And so far, honestly, <laughs> I'm feeling I'm I'm feeling pretty New York central. That's right. I'm feeling New York central pilled. That's right. Oh, okay. No, it's 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 cool. It's cool. No, it's cool. It's cool. <laughs> it's cool. Look, fewer Nazi collaborators. Liam, why do you have that tire iron? <laughs> no, no reason. Please ignore the tire iron, Alice. Uh, yeah, fewer Nazi collaborators is a big point in G's favor. Uh, I will give him that. <laughs> I'm not going to say no. I haven't done that. Yeah, deep it's of not yeah. no Nazi collaborators. Yeah, fewer. Uh, Many fewer. fewer. It's low sodium, not no sodium. Yeah. Uh, Am I coming across okay? Are my yes. levels? Yeah, no. Out? You said yeah, you levels okay. are fine. Excellent. Okay, thank you. Uh, I'm I'm sort of just I'm I'm in my t- I'm on my tablet which is plugged into the wall now. Thanks, Alice. You mm-hmm. cursed to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm recording in the most weird position I've ever recorded in. But I'm I'm in a lovely hotel room in my underpants, cranking cranking pod for you. Useful. Thank you. You're welcome, Roz. You've seen it before, buddy. No, I haven't. I made a point you, of not seeing it. You have seen my butt. You have absolutely seen my butt. I did see that once. Yeah. All right, Jay. Back to you. Mm-hmm. You might also know the Grand, uh, the New York Central from Grand Central Terminal. They oh, are, of I've course, heard of this. Which does rule and is has not been destroyed. We'll get to that. <laughs> yeah. Um, Grand Central, of course. The big fancy station built in response to uh, Penn Station, actually, the current Grand Central uh, Penn Station was a little older. They had Grand Central Depot, which was much harder to track down pictures of and shittier. Uh, but basically, you know, the Vanderbilts were kind of your your definition of old money, even at the time, and personally appointed all of Grand Central to be as beautiful and grand and opulent as possible. Yeah, this sort of like baroque thing. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it was it was also a statement of their wealth and power. And at the time, it was very trendy to be like, "And we're making it a public good." Here I am, you know, the Yo, Carnegie Library. Yeah, 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 yeah. Here you are. Just remember to think of your your grand benefactors, the Vanderbilts, every time mm. you take a train and pay us money to take a train somewhere. <laughs> it's kind of a contrast to Penn Station, which even. Uh, as grand as it was, it was still an austere kind of grandeur. Um, yeah. one, one thing I read, which I thought was very entertaining, is Alexander Cassett didn't know anything about architecture, and so, but one of his uh, one of his uh, direct uh, someone recommended to him, "Hey, uh, hire McKim, Mead, and White," and and he talked to McKim, Mead, and White, and they're like, "We don't know anything about train stations," and um, and that was a match made in heaven right there. Um, <laughs> And so, yeah, uh, and, when, and, when you say an austere kind of grandeur, I'm, I'm picturing the president of the Pennsylvania Railroad sitting like a curial chair, uh, like watching watching the concourse. Well, there was like one statue in the entire um, uh, Penn Station. It was a statue of Alexander Cassett. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mean, meanwhile, Grand Central, you know, huge statues on the outside, like the big famous one with the clock in the middle and Apollo, mm-hmm. the Tiffany clock, the big spherical clock on top of the information booth right in the middle of the concourse, which is still there. Wild to look at up close because all the hands are curved, which is strange. Mm. But you got to do it for a spherical clock. Uh, Grant, uh, the New York Central did not really electrify as much as the Pennsylvania did. Um, they weren't as concerned about that because they generally ran trains with smaller, lighter locomotives and could still achieve those speeds. 
Uh, they did have small electrified urban networks based around Detroit, Cleveland, and New York City uh, because steam locomotives were illegal in Manhattan after a big time train crash uh, because Highly smoke in a tunnel. Illegal. Yes. They don't do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Smoke in the tunnel obscured a signal, and a I think it was a New Haven train plowed straight into the back of a New York Central train, or maybe the opposite. And they went, Oops. Ooh, maybe we should stop doing that. Mm. Uh, and electrified. Uh, Detroit and Cleveland were more for freight lines. Uh, Detroit for the electrified Detroit Windsor Tunnel, which is still there, just not electrified. Uh, Cleveland was Cleveland also had a steam locomotive ban. You had to switch to an electric locomotive to get into uh, Cleveland Union Terminal. For unit? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, cool. So that's kind of the heyday of the New York Central. After World War Two, and, and then what happened, Jay? Then what happened? Well, <laughs> uh, this is a picture, I believe, of that same 20th Century Limited. Oh, it's in color. It's in that is a that is a a color color photograph. Oh God, it looks like Doom Three. It's not the best. Uh, Note the the two different styles of cars. Those used to have been assigned to two different streamliners. The uh, silver ones in the front were the Empire State Express. The rear ones were uh, 20th Century Limited. Both were you know famous marquee trains. I think none of these three locomotives match. You've got a later E8 in the back. You've got the lightning stripe in the middle. You've got the earlier. What, E6 or E7 in the front. Anyway, not great. Not great. Uh, yeah. post, Post-World War II, like most railroads, especially in the Northeast, uh, the New York Central was in a decline. Uh, there was enormous wartime traffic that kept things afloat, but you know, as with the Pennsylvania, pounded the network, and the New York Central's physical plant was not quite as good. Uh, a lot was four-tracked still, uh, and they were pretty good at, at keeping things maintained, uh, but just it was overbuilt to to handle all of this extra traffic. You had borrowed locomotives, you had extra locomotives, you had all sorts of stuff that you just couldn't quite keep up. And you know, not great. Uh, competing airline trucking and auto traffic whittled away at all sides of the business. Uh, critically, the New York Center was a little more northeastern focused. Uh, you know, it was really kind of the heart of the network was upstate New York, out to Boston, uh, those sorts of places, and. After World War II, there was a lot of emigration from there, uh, specifically uh, on the freight side. Uh, you got a lot of deindustrialization up there uh, just after World War II. And that meant that your real money makers, the freight business, you ended up with a bunch of expensive tracks and expensive trains not hauling a lot of freight. Mm. Uh, in the mid-50s, uh, Al Permon, who we'll talk about a lot, was brought on to be the president. Uh, he was not a traditional railroader, uh, namely the fact that he was Jewish, which hmm. was <laughs> <laughs> railroads are kind of the last bastion of waspiness, uh, especially railroad leadership. And for the fact that Al Perlman was brought in, it was kind of a, a real sign that the New York Central was ready to kind of run things differently. Mm. Uh, Ameri- not- America's last batch of anti-Semitism uh, until yeah. all of the rest of it. <laughs> It's an American tradition, Hal. Yes. I said batch of instead of bastion of. I don't know, this is like the last big business anti-Semitism. Certainly small business anti-Semitism is alive and well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I, I'm thinking about big business anti-Semitism before this. You've got Hollywood, but then, like, Louis Mayer, like, destroyed a great deal of that in, I want to say, like, way pre-war. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I was about to say, if you had Penn Central right now, they'd be playing advertisements about their, um, uh, queer millennial uh, engineers with anxiety. Um, <laughs> <small> <laughs> <being>. <laughs> uh, 
I wonder if the CIA is still a bastion of anti-Semitism, because like you've still got all of those like Yale skull and bones guys in there, plus all the weird Mormons. I mm. anyway, Al Perlman. <laughs> Al Perlman. Uh, he was Al not Perlman. really your traditional railroader. Uh, he was just kind of, and I'm going to name drop a very good book on this whole subject. He was a man who loved trains. Hmm. Great book. Yes. Uh, it is a good book. The book is The Men Who Loved Trains. But uh, he, he was a good fit for the New York Central because it wasn't really a traditional railroad anymore. Uh, their kind of heights of grandeur had never been kind of as giant and profitable and, you know, old school gold plated as the Pennsylvania. They were the kind of cool brother, almost. The alternative. It's a railroad that vapes. It, yeah, yeah, New York Central, a railroad that vapes. Uh, the fourth kind of train. railroad is more of a conquering foreign power. Yeah. <laughs> the B&O railroad is a railroad that dips and hates you. Marching Ooh. elephants and uh, <laughs> 200 coal cars over the Alleghenies. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, railroad the vapes, second car of this train here, or the fifth after the locomotives, uh, appears to be vaping, so it's a good match. <laughs> it's true. Pennsylvania uh, Railroad, the railroad that hates you back. <laughs> Genuinely true. Especially if we get into, I think in the next episode, or maybe in the third episode, the commuter, the state of the commuter operations. The railroad <laughs> yeah, that hates you so much it stockpiles rifles, just in yeah. case. Yeah, just in case. It's to protect the passengers, Alice. Oh yeah, you're right, I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, so the yeah, central was. Oh, go ahead, Jack. It was more stylish. It was leaner than the Pennsylvania, which was you more know stylish. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> it was style. Uh, uh, can we just reverse one slide to that twentieth uh, century? <laughs> no, don't go back. Real quick. Don't go back. If we're gonna, yeah, there we go. So it was the more stylish railroad. Now get the we fuck out of here. <laughs> I mean, I think I get the the like casting vote here, and uh, yeah, no, he's right. I <laughs> I do think uh, a lot of the Dreyfus designs just were. I think the Mallard, Alice. I think the, that's true. The Dreyfus Hudson looks better than the Raymond Lowy K4. I will say that the, yeah, the K4, yeah. I think K4 is, is not a very especially the semi streamlined <laughs> K4. I yeah. think the K4s not, weren't great. Yeah. The, the Pennsylvania had two really, really like all timer streamlined locomotives: the GG1 yeah. and the T1, and the rest yeah. were like below average. Uh, the S1 you know, looked really good. Um, I'm not a big S1 fan. Sorry, the T1 you, prototype, you I think, looked a lot better than the production T1s. Um, I haven't. I don't spend my time looking at a tremendous amount of Pennsylvania locomotives. I apologize. Oh, that was brutal. <laughs> I don't think about you at all. I don't really concern myself with the activities of the Pennsylvania Railroad. See, again, that, that, that was like pure Vanderbilt. I'm sorry. The like epigenetic memory is real, and it's, it, it only takes the form of like trains, but. Oh God! Uh, a lot of that, you know, the Vanderbilt glitz and glamour was real. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, the breakers exist. Out, no one remember Alexander Cassett's house. <laughs> it was on Rittenhouse Square. It was demolished for uh, the big hotel there. Ross, there's Frank Furness designed name, it. Yeah, <laughs> but I can name two Vanderbilt houses off the top of my head, Roz. Yeah, you would look at any any big house on the main line. Um, there's a, a street named after Alexander Cassett in uh, Berwyn. Um, a bunch oh, of wow, big houses. In wow, in Berwyn. <laughs> yeah, it's the fucking main line. That's where all the I bunch of just guys around on this one. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you say, Alice? I just said I had talked you around on this one on the glamour of the Vanderbilt. Yeah, you know I I will say uh, I do like the Biltmore Estate and can vouch for the tour. 
Uh, I actually also purchased the breakers with the Patreon money since we're so wealthy for Patreon. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, see. I, I spent it all on one of those cars that's currently on fire. Oh, oh, rookie mm. mistake. Oops. Yeah. Uh, so Perlman showed up to be president of New York Central uh, under Robert Young, uh, who unfortunately, kind of during all of this sort of decline, had to suspend the dividend. Uh, for New York Central, which was seen as Imagine like that. Wow, deeply wow. Who shameful. Would do that? Uh, well, Rob Young did, and then uh, he committed suicide as a result. Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Uh, he, he also had... He, not he had, the, he had to commit seppuku. He wrote yeah, his death bomb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wrote yeah. his death bomb on a stock certificate. but this basically left perlman in charge which he was sort of just expecting to be the president of the railroad but he was kind of completely in charge uh and the big problem was when he and young had come on they kind of learned that the new york central was broke uh like really broke uh, they'd been oh, late we, to acc- we accidentally spent all of our money on a 500 foot gilt statue of a Vanderbilt. Of a Vanderbilt, yeah. You had huge, you had huge amounts of assets in all these uh, companies, and you had huge cash flow. Absolutely, uh, but, but no revenue cash was, on hand. Or, yeah, uh, the margins were incredibly thin on account yeah. of you know, competition. You could you could sell some of the gilded. No, absolutely no, not. No, no, no. <laughs> well, even that was still I like will, a, a fairly small amount of. Um, you know, the actual physical assets. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, Protecting my gold-plated train with my gold-plated <laughs> cannon. Yeah, I think, I think that's that's a criticism which is legitimate for the Catholic Church, but but not the railroad. The railroad actually does things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the railroad can't mess up baptisms, but the Catholic Church can run a train company into the ground. <laughs> so the New York Central had been late to dieselize, uh, and they really kind of didn't focus on traffic that wasn't their prime money makers, uh, which is something you're kind of seeing again happening today, uh, though obviously it's dieselized. But um, there's a quote, I'm afraid what has happened over the years is that we've concentrated on steel and coal and we've let other traffic go to the highway. Mm. Uh, which, of course, now railroads are actively pushing other traffic that aren't the prime money makers away yes. uh, to the highway. So... Uh, Probably no one ever what, learns from history, is what I'm getting from this. Which is nope, insane. And like this, that was a big reason why the New York Central was failing, is because they were spending a ton of money on expensive to run passenger services that were no longer profitable. Uh, they were spending a ton of money on freights with razor thin margins, uh, and it wasn't great. So Perlman, uh, on kind of taking charge of this, he overhauled management with a bunch of like minded younger guys. Um, I think he was only in his mid 40s, which was basically a newborn for like railroad executives who yes. were, you know, <laughs> probably at the time, you know, not be exaggerating too much, but like had civil war stories. Yeah. yeah. So all, all minimum 70 years old have eaten okay. a cigar a day since the age of three. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And, and have, you know, had butlers their entire lives as all mm-hmm. these tycoons and barons and remember the good old days when you had this like tea kettle engine pulling wooden cars <laughs> uh probably overhauled the management and basically he implemented kind of like modern company like a modern kind of cool company uh business culture uh everybody was called each other by their first names except for uh al proman who everybody called proman <laughs> mr proman <laughs> Uh, though he is quoted in the Men Who Love Trains as saying, I would have let them call me Al if they wanted to. 
<laughs> uh, all of these guys oh, yeah. who only ever only ever grown up with bosses who like whipped them with a fucking like saddle whip for even look making eye contact with them are like no 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 absolutely not I'm not gonna no no no, no I'm not this, yeah this this guy is trudging through the through the halls sadly of the New York Central office with you hey, can somebody play call me, me Al, Al. <laughs> you can call me Al blaring through uh, a <laughs> Uh, a stereo, just like looking forlornly at his employees, pointing to the uh, the boombox, like guys. <laughs> you Big can name tag Al. says hi. My name is Al. <laughs> He's like, uh, Mr. Perlman, please. Uh, Al, call me Al. It's like he, this guy trying to single-handedly reform this culture. He's like, no, no, you don't. You don't have to kiss my shoes every time you t- try to tell me something. Really, that, it makes me uncomfortable. Actually. Yeah, but no, they're all doing it. In contrast, a friend of labor, Alexander Cassid, where there's a, at least a couple anecdotes of him. Um, he never fired anyone on the Paoli local, which he took to work every day, but he did severely berate uh, several conductors who didn't recognize him and who were rude to him. <laughs> yeah, it's it was kind of the more I was looking into this for this episode, it was kind of an impressively modern sort of corporate culture, uh, at least from my tech industry poisoned uh, corporate culture lens. Mm. Um, I don't necessarily think they had like, you know, free snacks and nap pods, but for the, <laughs> for the 50s, it was probably the equivalent of that. Uh, he allowed frontline workers to suggest ideas and improvements, which was radical um, to like let people actually on the ground be like, hey, we should run the trains like this. Uh, and he sent researchers to other railroads to learn best practices and to set up ways to find money or find ways. Uh, mm-hmm. He even set up research labs, which went and looked at like the deep sciences of railroading. And they developed like new engine oil formulations to save literally like millions of dollars of engine wear and maintenance. Wow. Uh, and really kind of got deep into this and what took the fairly shoestring budget of the New York Central to. Uh, kind of really overhaul it and it was it was on the ups though you know relative to the overall decline of the industry still on the decline um he really uh one other thing he developed was flexivan which was a very early container on flat car service hmm. which pretty much revolution like eventually revolutionized railroading uh so sort of intermodal thing I was reading uh, a, he, a book today about the um, uh, it, about containerization in general. It's called the box, um, and it, I, apparently some of these flexi van containers actually managed to make it as far afield as um, Europe and Japan, huh, which wow. I just think is a wild thing. You see, like a, a flexi van trailer with big New York Central cigar band on the side, just oh, entering through the that. streets of Tokyo. Um, <laughs> Hell yeah. On two K cars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. St- uh, but he developed these, you know, in a very modern sort of city. He's like, we're losing traffic to trucks. Here's how we can gain it back. We need to be focusing on on trying to regain this traffic, regain these profits. Uh, and to really especially get for like merchandise traffic as the Northeast kind of divested from uh, manufacturing. So it was trying to get these goods manufactured elsewhere up to where people were living. Hmm. Um, he ushered in a pretty early set of like what we now might think of like precision scheduled railroading priorities. Uh, he reduced infrastructure. He ripped up the quad track main lines and replaced them with uh, computerized double tracks. Uh, so they had crossover switches every seven miles so you could still get efficient passing operations uh, and kind of 
with tighter scheduling and everything. You didn't need four tracks because who knows where trains were. Mm. Uh, you could just have used two more smartly. Uh, and actually, the railroad was so broke, they ripped up these tracks and used the rails to rebuild yards. Huh. Mm. Instead of buying new rails, they would rip the tracks up, they'd throw the, the rails onto flat cars and bring them elsewhere and use them to rebuild other parts of the system. Uh, he implemented a really stunningly advanced computer-based control system. Uh, a central control room can control switches and movements for entire stretches of track, you know, hundreds of miles. Um, Jay, what year did he introduce that system? Do you know? The computerized systems? Yeah. Uh, this was all the kind of, I think he gained full control in like 59, so sort of in like wow, 62, okay. 60 okay. through 65 so or so. Uh, Liam and I both trying to picture the, what size room you need for the computer here. <laughs> the biggest it, one you have, Alex. Enormous, <laughs> the giant tape decks, you know. Mm-hmm. I'll take uh, a tape. Guys be. running around on shopping carts to swap out the vacuum tubes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> we had we had a we had a five megabyte hard drive delivered yesterday on three flat cars. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he overhauled freight yards as well to uh, be computer controlled. So uh, you'd have systems of so uh, the way these work, they're hump yards. Ha ha ha. Uh, but you'd push a train up the hump and then uncouple the cars at the top and people would ro- they'd roll down and switch. You'd switch trains on these tracks. But he built computer controlled ones in the early 60s that used radar to detect how fast the trains were going and automatically applied um, track brakes, basically retarders that would pinch the wheels and slow the trains down so that it would all couple perfect at the perfect speeds to the right train. Fuck. So before no, that- this, you had to have a line of brakemen who would climb onto the train at the top and stand and ride the handbrake down. They'd ride these cars down, smash into the car, undo the handbrake, then run back up and ride the next car down. And instead, he's like, yeah, here, we'll have one guy in the tower, and he's got the list of cars, and he knows what tracks these need to go on. The switchers are computer-controlled based on this. And bam, 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 it's going to perfectly park these cars at the exact right speed to couple. It's always amazing how much productivity improvements there were at hump yards, and yet your railroads are still trying to get rid of them and use flat yards instead these just, these hump yards hmm. so selkirk uh quadrupled its processing capacity it was like 2800 cars a day and it went up to almost 10,000 cars a day wow with this at one yard uh it was insane i just love the this idea that like it's the 50s so no one knows how much radar costs yet <laughs> so it's just like it's plausible that you can just show up and be like, "Hi, I'm from the New York Central Railroad. I'd like to buy one radar system for every yard that I have. I will give you one shiny silver dollar and a guy wearing a sweater vest who has been like staring at an oscilloscope screen over the course of the entire war is like, that's more money than I've ever seen in my life. Absolutely." <laughs> <laughs> So uh, Perlman, however, he was kind of a land of contrast for hmm. us train buffs and foamers and whatever you want to call it. Uh, he was not sentimental. Uh, he axed the 20th century limited. He's like, it's not making money. Bye. Uh, ripped up tracks, as we said. He really quickly and really completely dieselized. Yes. Uh, and to pay for that, he sent every single New York Central steam locomotive uh, to the scrapper. Well, it wasn't even uh, that. It was... Um- he actively wanted all the locomotives scrapped because he didn't want the central to be viewed to as an old-fashioned organization. He wanted the complete yep. history of it to be annihilated just completely. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, there's no 
So of their most famous locomotives, the Hudson, the Niagara's, they're all gone. They're two, they, they two were all Mohawks turned to razor blades. Um, Just because of this one guy. Yeah. yeah. Even two. if you could pay for the locomotive at fair market value, he didn't for preservation. It. He wouldn't give yep. it to you. He insisted on having it scrapped. Jeez. Two two exist. One which was sold, I believe, as part of a locomotive trade to another rail. I think to the Texas Pacific, actually, ah. um, in '57. So before he could get his hands on it, um, <laughs> two escaped him. <laughs> yeah. Well, and another one was was hidden by crews who were sentimental. They literally squirreled it away in the back of a shop and covered it in tarps and shit, uh, <laughs> and like didn't let him or his guys see that they had it. That's it on the New York Central. If you could just go to the next slide. I didn't realize this was here. Could you go to the next slide? Oh. Oh. Huh. It's really funny that these ended up in this presentation. Well, you know, I mean, there's a reason why they tore down Penn Station and not Grand Central. And we'll get to that. (laughs) That's true. It's because Grand Central looks nice. Um. There's Perlman on the left, by the yeah. way. Uh, yes. Wait, this is Perlman? Uh, yeah, that's yeah. Perlman. And this is Saunders. That's, yeah. Saunders okay. is the guy who looks like the, uh, the Turtle Club Kiss- guy from them. Kissinger. Uh, Big, bald Kissinger. <laughs> My God. So we have Lifetime a- Movies adaptation of Mike Pence and Bernie. I guess we want to introduce uh, <laughs> some of the characters here we're going to be talking about. Um, one of which is Jim Sims. Uh, he was president of the Pennsylvania Railroad before the merger, but he was one of the first guys who said, I need to get out of this office before it kills me. Right? Because traditionally, the office of president of the Pennsylvania Railroad killed everyone who took it. Um, Dude, if I was president <laughs> of the PRR, my do- my, all my desk drawers would just be labeled bourbon. <laughs> I would just I would have a little cot under my desk and I'd have a shotgun like that architect you like. And I would I, and if someone came in and said Mr. Anderson, we need your help at Hartford, I would put two in the chest and say don't bother me before lunch. <laughs> I can't ima- like I I cannot imagine that job other than just like yeah, you dropped out of a heart attack, that's your retirement package. Um so uh, one, of, one of Sims' uh, last acts as president of the Pennsylvania Railroad was to recommend the next president of the Pennsylvania Railroad. And this will be ironic uh, for reasons that we will get into shortly, which was Stuart Saunders, who was president of the Norfolk and Western Railroad, right? Um, and so he was educated at Roanoke College, then went to Harvard Law School. He had, the incredible, he had a, a proven track record and a very successful track record of managing a railroad that had a whole lot of income and few expenses, right? Because um, Norfolk and Western had this great business model called, we haul one thing, it's coal. We move it from West Virginia to Norfolk, Virginia. Mm. And you can and make a lot of money doing that. Problem. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we have Perlman, another right. key character who we, we just, talked about We've a talked. lot yeah uh one one extra fact is before going to the new york central he had helped turn around the denver and rio grande western mm-hmm. uh ah. which 
later destroyed turned... all of their steam locomotives also. <laughs> a bunch of the just on general stuff stuff like, like, Yeah, like King Kong. Yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> flinging them into ditches. The, yeah, the, the, the men who love trains. Only diesel trains, though. Only, yeah, diesel, only trains, though. diesel trains. You can even sort of see the ethos in like the logos up here when they're both next to each other. Yeah. Right? The Pennsylvania had that Keystone logo forever. And yeah. this New York Central logo, it was a much more sort of ornate oval thing. Before. Yeah, the cigar band thing. Yeah. yeah. And then they re- redid it to the cigar band. Well, the 1880s uh, Pennsylvania Railroad was this bizarre, much more, it was the same format, but the, the, the lettering was much more ornamental. Yeah. Um, also, I believe there were some like floral things that came up off the top and the sides. Hmm. There should have been yeah. in the 18th. Everything needed to take like four days of a professional lithographer to go that, in. That's yeah. when they, they valued the labor of people who drew things. Hand engraved <laughs> corporate yeah, up logo. Up right yeah. up until they shot them. Yeah. <laughs> now we have to talk about the redheaded stepchild. Oh, please don't be mean to her. <laughs> the New York, New Haven, uh, and Hartford Railroad. I, I, Great livery. Yeah. I might be the only person alive who likes this railroad. I, I like, like the delivery. I like the delivery. Yeah. Hi, it's Justin. Uh, so this is a commercial for the podcast that you're already listening to. Uh, people are annoyed by these, so let me get to the point. We have this thing called Patreon, right? The deal is you give us two bucks a month, and we give you an extra episode once a month. Uh, sometimes it's a little inconsistent, but, you know, it's two bucks, you get what you pay for. Um, it also gets you our full back catalog of bonus episodes, so you can learn about exciting topics like guns, pickup trucks, or pickup trucks with guns on them. The money we raise through Patreon goes to making sure that the only ad you hear on this podcast is this one. Anyway, that's something to consider if you have two bucks to spare each month. Uh, join at patreon.com forward slash WTYP pod. Do it if you want. Or don't. It's your decision, and we respect that. Back to the show. Um, so the New Haven, the, the New Haven, uh, the main line went from Boston to New York City and New Haven to Hartford and Springfield, Massachusetts. Um, and they had a lot of problems. Uh, chief among them being, they'd never really been solvent. Ever. Despite that, they managed to massively overbuild their infrastructure. Um, you know, the line from uh, New Haven to New York City was completely electrified at a huge cost. Um, it was designed to handle huge amounts of goods manufactured in New England, which by the 50s and 60s, uh, they weren't Gone. manufacturing that much goods in New England, and a lot of the new industry that was popping up was shipping stuff by truck. I mean, you know, Pratt and Whitney out near uh, what you call it, Hartford, Hartford, ships everything by truck or by plane. They had no mm-hmm. use for the New, Haven, New York, New Haven, and Hartford. Um, you know, but it was it was it was massively overbuilt, nonetheless, and they were required to operate lots of commuter service because if not. Connecticut would implode. <laughs> yeah. The other thing is, uh, Sikorsky is in Connecticut, but uh, it doesn't go so well when you try to strap a, uh, a helicopter to a train. Now, my, my proposal for the hover train 
was uh was <laughs> or hella train was shot down unfortunately uh by Roz and his RPG seven, which I thought was very rude of you. <laughs> Like the uh, uh, you imply that both the idea was shot down and the physical product. That's the joke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you managed to consolidate both. Yeah. Frequent. Uh, well, there's your problem, listeners. We'll remember the New Haven from those guys who owned those lightweight cars that were a bit shitty and managed to fuck up a train driving straight into Washington Union Station. Yes, mm-hmm. the uh, Osgood Bradley yeah. cars that were made out of three kinds of metal that all interacted poorly with each other. Sure um, are. And at this point, it recently been run. I don't remember if it was still run, but it recently run by Patrick McGinnis. And mm-hmm. Patrick McGinnis's main legacy is this very smart uh, paint scheme that everyone loves. Absolutely. And also an insane libertarian management uh, style, which drove the railroad into even more chronic bankruptcy than it had before. Oh, Absolutely please tell me too. about the insane libertarian management style. I, I unfortunately, I don't know too much about it. I need to go back. Yeah, into, he wasn't yeah. running it by the end. Uh, yeah. He was succeeded by George Alpert, I want to say. Uh, didn't McGinnis only run it for like a year and yes. nine months? It was hilariously <laughs> brief. Yeah, he, that's, uh, that's how long it takes for libertarianism to destroy a railroad. Yeah, <laughs> genuinely. They also had a train called the Cranberry, which is one of my favorites. <laughs> hmm. um so the problem was that the new haven had like your big problem here is it could never make money and it absolutely had to run um and the government's not going to give you any help yep. um but they have to give it to someone but no one wanted it it was bad for business um and this is where maybe to understand sort of why these railroads were unprofitable especially in the most populous area of the uh, area of the united states we should talk a little bit about railroad economics here, right? Hmm. Hey, before we do that, can we talk about the turbo train? Because that was that was New Haven, man. That was New Haven. That'll uh, probably get its the, own episode. What is a turbo train? Which turbo train? The UAC the, one. The, the UAC was that one? the yeah. New Haven? That yes, was the New Haven. I didn't know it, that. It, yeah, it hit 170 miles an hour in 1968, and they never operated in revenue service. Jesus. In I the US, they, Canada ran them. Yes. I thought that was Amtrak. Nope. Nope. Well, later. It does appear in Amtrak paint. I have a, uh, I bought a folder on eBay from the unveiling and handover ceremony from the DOT to the New Haven. Wow. So I have a bunch of pictures. information from Pictures, that. please. I'll, I need to scan it all. Okay, thank you. Did it, did it appear in uh, McGinnis' paint scheme? No, I think it was uh, still in yeah. the DOT it scheme. It shouldn't well. have. Because that was af- that would be after McGinnis. Yeah. So yeah. let's. I guess we'll talk a little bit about basic freight rail concepts here, right? Mm. You put the goods onto the train. You train put, goes to where it needs to yes, go. You, you take put, them off. The train. No, we've all we've all, played, yeah, played, we've all played. We've played video trans- games. Yeah, we played yeah. Transport Tycoon. Um, no, it's actually much much more complicated. Um, oh. So one of your what you do when you're trying to put a train together, right? is you, you take many cars going to many different destinations, you put them all together in one train that goes sort of near all those destinations, then you take it apart again, right? And then you, you send them all to other destinations on many smaller trains, right? Hmm. Um, and so if you are shipping, let's say, from Los Angeles over here to Chicago, over here, 
you handle High, the cars. Highly sort of like yeah. conceptual map of the United States. Here. Exactly. Um, yes. You you handle the car maybe once or twice in L.A. And then you handle the car again in Chicago once or twice to get it to its customer, right? Hmm. Um, Santa Fe all the way. Exactly. Um, this is easy in the West because there's only a couple interstitial destinations. You might handle the car, you know, you can ship to St. Louis and that'll be another direct trip or Denver. That'll be another generally direct trip. Right. Um, but on the East coast, there's lots of destinations, mm. right. And they're all close together. Um, and so let's say, I don't know, I have a carload of something. What's made in South Jersey? Steamed hams. Blue, blueberries. Blueberries. Uh, I don't know. Lockheed has a plant there, but I don't know if they actually make anything there. Just go, just go with the steamed hams. Yeah, we'll go with... I'm I saving a, that a, one up for a while. Hams. I steamed have a carload yeah. of steamed hams made in Collingswood, New Jersey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, have to get, they have to get to Utica. They have to that get to Utica. Sad. That's a good example. Um, so, in order to do that, um, because there's so much local industry, this car then goes to Pavonia Yard in Camden, where it's sorted into a train, um, which I think today would go directly to Selkirk Yard, but back in the day it would cross the river um, because you have to transfer between Pennsylvania Reading Seashore Lines to the Pennsylvania Railroad. It would go to the West Philadelphia Yards, right? Um, mm-hmm. And then you got to hand off the car again to New York Central at that point. So it would have to go back up to Oak Point or something like that. You have to handle the car again. Oak transfer Point sounds this, right. Transfer it might have been this, done in Jersey City as well. Could have been, yeah. Uh, it's somewhere in that area where they'd have to hand it off to the Central. The Central would presumably take it up to Selkirk, right? Um, and at Selkirk Yard, that's the very efficient one. It'd be sorted very efficiently there, but not efficiently at any of the other yards. No. And then, <laughs> finally, the steamed Multiple. hams would be delivered to the customer in Utica, right? Multiple well, they'd probably go failure. on a full train, dropped off in Utica, then run on the local in Utica as well. Yes. And most of these yards, other than Selkirk, you're adding between one and three days transit time Yes, to go... From South Jersey to upstate New York. So this could be a shipment that takes a week, <clears throat> a week and a half, right? And this is, this is your fundamental issue with um, Eastern railroads at this time, is that there's so many of them, they're comp- all competing with each other, and the way you handle cars is so inefficient. That yeah, and, and by contrast, the, you can you can put it on fifty trucks, uh, overwork the shit out of fifty drivers, and just drive it there in you know right. one or two days. Yep. Yeah, and this is a forty foot box car back then, so it's probably two trucks per two trucks. one forty car forty forty foot box car of steamed hams, right? Absolutely. You'd also critically for this and exacerbating the financial problems. The payment for this one boxcar of steamed hams would have to be split between three different railroads. Yes. Right. Uh, and all their rates were competitive, so they were all barely scraping by. There was a lot of carload freight that was actually, the rates were set so low that it, the railroads were paying for the privilege to haul steamed hams. 
And this is this is one of the issues uh, we talked about destructive competition before. Yep. Um, because mm. these railroads were competing with each other, they could not operate efficiently. You couldn't you couldn't run like a train from Pavonia Yard directly to Selkirk, right? And then put the local train but out what to if It was all one railroad. Also, I'll be right back. Do Alice voices if you need to do a joke in between. Okay. Just one of you, just just be just be me for a bit. Got it. Okay. Uh, do do? I live in Glasgow. Look at me. My name is Alice. I know many things about many things. We need to just My like leave her leave her bait. Make it so she really wishes she was here. Like <laughs> anybody see any cool Soviet watches lately? Oh, oh hundreds. My God. Yeah, a million. Hundreds of Soviet watches. I got a bunch of patches. Yeah, um, I too got know. a bunch of patches, uh, some cool military regalia. Yeah, I was um, I was I was looking at a whole bunch of uniforms yesterday. Yeah, um, nice. I, uh, various police I was drinking forces. a nice cherry coke. Uh, <laughs> fuck, what else the hell it's like? <laughs> um, you so, guys are the ones who podcast her with her every week. Point, yeah. Yeah. So this, she. Uh, I was watching. I don't know American football, and I was cheering for the Rams. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we could we could say more anti-Semitic yeah. things, I guess, but we should probably avoid that. Probably avoid that. But uh, what what this is called? You don't um, want to talk about how handsome Jay is some more? We could do that. I I was gonna add productive discussion to the podcast. Man, fuck you. Yeah, <laughs> go ahead. Liam, don't you have like a hard out in half an hour? No, uh, Corinne. We canceled our dinner reservation so I could be here. Oh, okay. Well, now I feel badly. I feel bad too. Hello, Don't, I'm it's, sorry. It's it's okay. I blame Pico. Jay's sorry. Yeah, excellent. Uh, with that voice and those cheekbones, you just get anything you want. <laughs> <laughs> so this is called. Um, so on the one hand, you have the Western railroads. You know, L.A. to Chicago, one trip. That's your you know your long haul. But if you're doing something like the Pennsylvania and the New York Central are doing. You know, they have main lines that go all the way out to Chicago, too, but most of their traffic is on the shorter routes. That's a short haul, and you're never going to make the same amount of money doing short haul as you do long haul unless, you know, you, some people are able to focus on that today, but it, it's, it's, it's much more difficult, right? You also, Especially, had, you also had additional competitors like yes. the Erie Lackawanna. Yeah, so there'd have, be some long haul trips that to get better prices... Uh, shippers would negotiate a long haul trip down into three short haul trips, mm. and then you'd get a third of the cost of that or less. That, so you can't even stay solvent on that. Yeah, because I have no. I have what I have the Lehigh Valley, I have uh, Erie Lackawanna, I have CNJ in there. CNJ CNJ. Down this Central way. Central of New Jersey. And then I have let me get a let me get a Lehigh in New England going that way. You know, I can interchange any any dumb way I want if I'm a shipper. Um might add to travel time, but it may be cheaper for you. But and also with the amount that you're you're moving cars, it doesn't add to travel time that much, right? If you if it's gonna be there in two weeks. What's the problem with it getting there in two and a half weeks if it's going to be half the cost? It's also very bad for perishable cargo. <laughs> yeah, one would think. Yes. Um, and so this is, this is why Eastern railroads were not doing as well as Western railroads. 
except the ones that handled coal as their main yeah. main uh, main um, sure. product. Um, which leads us to some of the the early merger attempts, right? Oh, you forgot to put the red egg down on that one. Oh, that's a good point. Oh, yeah. Red egg. Yeah. And the short line. <laughs> so before World War One, World War One is when we had the first experiment with nationalization. But before that, there were these sort of ideas of railroad combinations, right? Um, and the idea was you'd merge several smaller railroads into larger railroads, and these would be able to perform better than a whole bunch of small railroads that competed with each other. Yep. Right? The New York Central system did this, right? Yes. It was all these tiny little railroads, and then it became right. one big one. And, and to a certain extent, like the Pennsylvania did that, but that was, um, you know, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't to the extent. Um, but you, you still had, like, you were looking at much larger combinations, like the Pennsylvania yeah, Railroad sure. and the Norfolk and Western, or the New York Central and the Chesapeake and Ohio, or, like, the Wabash and the Norfolk and Western stuff like that. Right. Yeah. And this is, this is all your larger network has better economies of scale and it avoids destructive competition. Right. And that had been a problem with the industry since its inception. As we mentioned before, these railroads were constantly undercutting each other. They were deceiving the public about rates and deceiving shippers about rates by providing preferred industries with rebates. Right. Um, and, and they all forced each other to sort of run on the ragged edge of insolvency at all times. And it led to bad and unreliable service, right? If you consolidated from 50 small railroads to a couple big railroads, it would be at least the railroad executives thought better for everyone, but no one could actually come to an agreement on that. Um, because everyone wanted to be in charge of the resulting large railroad. <laughs> we had these theoretical combinations that a lot of railroads wanted, but the executives couldn't agree on who would be in charge of them. They didn't happen. This is, I feel like in contrast to what happened in Britain, where the government stepped in and just passed the grouping act and said, all right, there's four railroads now. Fuck mm -hmm. you. This is what yes. you wanted. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in, fa in fairness, all of those would amount to you one like, slop. <laughs> yeah. all, all of the big four railroads, uh, railways, I should say, in the UK together amounted to one small American railroad. So, mm. like, you know, I, th there is a problem of scale there, I feel. One very small and dense American railroad. So they were all one New York, New Haven, and Hartford. Um, mm. Or four yeah, competing mostly. New York, New Haven, due, and Hartford. Due, due, due to like uh, a, a time machine mishap, British Rail now operates passenger service between New York, New Haven, and Hartford, and the New York, New Haven, and Hartford is now doing trains through fucking Loughborough. <laughs> All right, Jay, you wrote the rest of the slide. Go. Oh, I did. So these mergers, yeah, they they were first kind of brought up in the mid fifties uh, when they really. Uh, Al Perlman in particular thought, oh shit, we need to pair off these money losing or barely solvent Northeastern railroads with a money printing coal hauling railroad. Yes. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. The, the, those, the two coal hauling railroads really, uh, the two bigger ones at least, were the Norfolk and Western, which was already a Pennsylvania Railroad subsidiary, but yes. not directly linked, uh, and the Chesapeake and Ohio. Uh, and they were both 
hugely, hugely profitable, uh, especially because you ran the empty trains up the hill efficiently. You filled them full of black diamonds and you ran them down the hill to the coast. Uh, and because they were shipping internationally, they got to set their own rates. Yes. Uh, so they made a ton of money off of that. Uh, overseas coal was still booming, uh, even after American coal kind of died down, which meant that the Pennsylvania and New York Central didn't really have a lot of coal traffic of their own. A whole uh, oh, huge proportion of uh, the shipping fleet and also navies were still uh, powered by coal. So yep. there's this huge yeah. um, uh, international market for it. Absolutely. Um, but in the US, like even the, the traditional sort of power or in-home boiler technique and things, those were mm -hmm. going away in the 50s, right? You had your newer houses coming up with, with gas heat or electric heat. You had coal power plants, still definitely a thing, but you were getting your first generation of nuclear plants around this time. Yes. Uh, you had gas plant, gasoline plants and natural gas plants. Uh, and you were yeah, really- Yeah, and it, it's not as much money to like haul a big train full of atoms. Yeah. Oh, there's a wonderful right. picture of the first uh, nuclear reactor, first commercial nuclear reactor being delivered to shipping port in Pittsburgh behind a steam locomotive of the Pennsylvania Railroad. Um, a great photo. Yeah. One and, steam and, and engine hauling another. The PRR, of course, had this issue where they did have access to coal fields, but they were all anthracite. Yeah, it was shitty which, coal. Yeah. No, no coal it's the good coal. It's much but, better. But it's it's hard just much, much harder yeah, to burn. It's harder to get to. Yeah, <laughs> shitty economically to yeah. extract. Great for use. home heating because it doesn't yes. produce anywhere near as much smoke. Oh, and, yep. you know, but yeah, bad for power plants. Like, <laughs> yeah, and as home, again, home heating stopped mm. being individually coal-fired, so all of these, it was, it was a bad time for everybody basically except the Norfolk and Western and Chesapeake and Ohio uh, and the Virginian Railroad as well. Yes. Another smaller player in that field. Mm. Uh, the Perlman thought this was a great idea. And the Pennsylvania already controls the Norfolk and Western. So the executives, the budgets, the networks, they're already compatible. In fact, I think at the time, the Norfolk and Western was technically headquartered in Roanoke, but really kind of only nominally. The execs mm. all met at the Pennsylvania headquarters in Philadelphia anyway. That makes sense. I did have a um, large... They yeah, didn't have a large off. presence until um, probably five or six years ago, though. Um. Yeah. Um, so they thought that uh, the ICC, the Interstate Commerce Commission, uh, which was the government regulatory body for all railroads, basically, um, as they dealt in interstate commerce, uh, thought that, you know, there, mergers always had to go before the ICC and they were not particularly merger friendly. But Perlman thought, be pretty easy to get this one done because the Pennsylvania and Norfolk and Western are already so tight. Mm. Um, once that happened, he thought that now the New York Central could participate in a three-way merger with the Chesapeake in Ohio and the Baltimore in Ohio. Oh my! Uh, which would combine <laughs> Just, these. This is like fucking Crusader Kings level yeah. of like dynastic <laughs> marriages. Genuinely. Yes. Genuinely. And it was ways to, to link infrastructure, right? The New York Central and CNO didn't touch each other too much, especially in the Northeast. So you bring in the BNO, which had lines up through New Jersey and everything to connect the two. And anyway, they thought per that. Herman you know, was fond of uh, metaphors about um, uh, uh, marriages and suitors, actually, for this yes. particular, <laughs> yeah. this particular uh, segment. Yeah. Uh, of course, in his grand plan, he'd be the big boss of this new giant railroad. 
uh, which would be approved by the ICC as a way to kind of rebalance the Northeast um, against the giant Pennsylvania, Norfolk and Western mm. combined road. Uh, this would let these profitable coal haulers subsidize the money losing Northeastern roads because they're still providing an essential service and the Northeast would be pretty fucked if all the trains stopped running. Uh, that's a future episode of this <laughs> mini series. But anyway, um, all of these alliances fell through because Perlman went to the to the B&O and C&O and they said, hmm, great, this will be awesome. I'm excited for me, president of the B&O, to be in charge of this bigger railroad. <laughs> president of the C&O went, mm, no, 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 sorry. This bigger railroad, I'm going to be the president, right? Surely. Yes. And Perlman, no, I'm going to be the president. I, it was my idea. Uh, this happened with the Norfolk and Western and the Pennsylvania. This happened with basically all merger partners. This is um, why you've got to do hell in a cell. That's the uh, only way to be fair. What yes. work. Thunderdome. They, they yeah. all, executive Thunderdome. <laughs> they all demanded that they were going to be the ones in power and they refused to be locked out of any combined railroad, you know, locked out to the position of like executive vice president or whatever. Mm, of yeah. course. Locked into the being the chairman of the board only or locked into an early retirement with more money than I could possibly spend in a hundred <laughs> lifetimes. Yeah, that means you've lost the big paradox game of, the, of yeah. like railroading. Everyone yeah. wants you, to run a railroad. Mm-hmm. It just sounds especially like a good time. These guys were all people who'd grown up around, especially at this time, you know, all the people who basically just wanted their, their money and to leave were either already working for the coal haulers or Western railroads or who had already left because nobody wanted to be attached to these failing railroads anymore. Uh, of course, the only way knowing that they were failing was to be working for them in the first place. So you had <laughs> younger, hungry guys show up being like, oh, I'll grab the New York Central. This will be great. And then realize, oh, God, oh, God, what have I done? <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I have accidentally uh, you know, fought my way into the heart attack job. Yes. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> Uh, so these plans and proposing these did have a secondary effect, though, uh, in that they scared the shit out of all the smaller railroads nearby, uh, which made them all merge together. Hmm. So the Norfolk and Western said, "Uh oh, we don't want to be absorbed by the Pennsylvania, even though we're already subsidiary. So they merged with the Virginian, the Erie Railroad and the Delaware, Lackawanna and Western merged together to form the Erie Lackawanna. We've all heard my thoughts on the Erie Lackawanna. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, this also caused the CNO and BNO to merge together, excluding the central, because they thought they could make a better agreement, uh, and then they'd be a bigger enough railroad to just buy the New York Central and just take that over. <laughs> uh, and that was, you know, a big thing. So, so now Perlman's sudden, the guy who's like, oh shit, I gotta stay on top. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you guys uh, ever play King of the Hill on Halo? It's kind of like that. <laughs> when the CNO and BNO merged, they were worried that the ICC wasn't going to approve that merger. So they thought there's no better way than to get approval from our biggest competitor, which would have been the Pennsylvania. Hmm. So they went to the Pennsylvania and said, all right, here, let's start putting together some plans and like really kind of go for some big time trade offer shit. Uh, so the Pennsylvania eventually agreed to support the CNO BNO merger on the condition that the CNO and BNO, which would become the Chessie system, would support the Pennsylvania and New York Central merger. And on, he, on the condition that you put a cat on all of your shit, yes. because we want it to have a fursona. <laughs> and <laughs> the Pennsylvania Railroad had previously had controlling interest in both of those railroads, so you know there was yes. there was some uh, there was some hereditary bullshit going on there. Definitely. Mm. 
One caveat, though, uh, was that Pennsylvania would have to have given up their stake in the Norfolk and Western. Uh, Jim Sims said, yeah, sure, that's fine. Uh, I guess somehow not realizing that that was like the most profitable part of the Pennsylvania Railroad empire yep. by a huge margin. At that point, it was it was kind of a it, it, they technically only owned 30 percent of it, but they still had a controlling interest through uh, financial wheeling and dealing. One of the things yep. I always thought was funny is I, I live near uh, Woodland Cemetery and there's two kinds of guys buried there. Pennsylvania Railroad executives and Norfolk and Western executives. Um, <laughs> Still fighting each other under the ground. Yeah. yeah. Just just uh, from beyond the crypt, just kicking each other. <laughs> the Pennsylvania Railroad did sell their N&W investment, and they invested that in diversification, which we're going to get to in a bit, um, which mm. was bad. Well, we'll see. Yeah. So... Uh, the Penn Central system starts to look more and more inevitable, uh, even though it was probably the worst possible combination they were going to yeah, do it. You basically paired up the profitable roads, and then you paired up the not profitable roads. Yes. Somehow mm -hmm. assuming that two money-losing railroads could combine into a money-earning railroad. Yeah, if, 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 we're using, if we're using Perlman's sort of marriage allegory, this is the sort of marriage that you have a mountain goat song about. <laughs> just in the executives meeting blaring no children as they walk in yeah. <laughs> so um, there was nothing they could do with the merger at this point um, so you know it, it, Perlman at this point he has, he has to combine with the Pennsylvania Railroad um, and the Penn Central system is like no other merged railroads before, right? Before, if you were merging railroads, usually it was something end-to-end, -end, right? Like, um, for instance, when the Pennsylvania Railroad was built, you know, they built out the Pittsburgh, and then they merged with a railroad that went from Pittsburgh to... I forget what the next stage was. Like somewhere like, stupid, like yeah. Alliance or Crestline. Or yeah, something like that, right? And that was how the system was built. Um... We're doing something entirely else here with the Penn Central, which is the Penn Central have very different uh, Pennsylvania Railroad has very different territories from the New York Central until you get to Ohio. And mm. then every single line is duplicating another line. <laughs> Terrific. Yes. Um, so we're taking all of these all of these railroads which don't make money individually but serve the same area. And now if there's only one railroad with twice the amount of infrastructure, will that make money? I don't know. Um, Impossible to say. Um, and this pissed off a lot of people. Um, they had to prove to the public and the Internet Interstate Commerce Commission the merger was, in fact, in the public's interest. You know, there's shippers who are going to very, be very unhappy with no competition. Passengers and cities worried about their commuter trains. Um, and then the other issue was the New York, New Haven, and Hartford Railroad, right? Which is, again, up here. Um, the New York, New Haven, and Hartford Railroad petitioned the ICC to be merged into Penn Central, right? Um, which means Penn Central is suddenly Hey, going, we're also failures. Please. <laughs> hi, hi. Help us. Help. Help. <laughs> take, take me with you. <laughs> no one wanted this thing. 
Mom says I need a turn with a controller too. <laughs> <laughs> no one wanted this thing. In fact, Perlman suggested, okay, what if we spin off the Boston and Albany and the Boston and Maine and merge it with the New Haven and then that'll be their problem, right? Yeah, the Boston, Hartford, New Haven and the D- D- Albany. Yes. Railroads question mark. Uh that doesn't go through. Um the ICC eventually insisted that the New Haven be included, and it was included in the merger. Um, they were also supposed to take the New York, Susquehanna, and Western, and the Lehigh Valley. Uh, neither of those things happened because they were more forceful about not getting that one. I don't know why they took the New Haven. I think that was this is probably a political thing. Um, so now the Penn Central, you know, already not making much revenue. Now they're saddled with even more commuter operations which stopped making money probably in the 20s um, and were essentially only there because of regulations, right? Uh, and it added almost no freight traffic and all that freight traffic was short hauls, right? That didn't make much money. Um, you know, and, and you were losing other freight traffic that made money on those routes like the U.S. Mail, like uh, Express Freight, um, you know, the Railway Express Agency stuff, like the forerunner of today's UPS. Um, all that stuff is uh, it's going away. Um, so it was impossible to make these numbers pencil out competing with uh, truck traffic. No, none of these railroads, the, the New York, New Haven, and Hartford was always going to be a drag, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you, you basically threw a cinder block at two drowning guys. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then they start fighting over the cinder block. And he's like, no, you guys, you're both drowning. But maybe if you hug each other, you'll stop drowning, and we're just going to chuck this cinder block on you too, and maybe that'll make you stop drowning. <laughs> it wasn't great. Yeah. Uh, so this this process took six years. Uh, all of all the while, oh, no. the New York Central oh, and the no. Pennsylvania were hemorrhaging what little money they had, uh, and just like watching, watching trucks and autos and planes and everything take all of these watching all the manufacturing leave the northeast and basically all the area that they served uh, yeah. and it was pretty bad hmm. and you had you had nothing but like you had the port of new york but that wasn't gonna really start becoming a international port for another couple of years while containerization ramped up um yep. and these two railroads you know they, they they were smashed into each other um and when they when that happened when the merger actually happened which is usually bad for trade <laughs> yeah. So despite the fact that this took six years, because they were still rivals, they weren't really allowed to do a lot of talking to each other. because uh, that could have been Line collusion. Drawn down the middle of the apartment. Yeah. Yes. Pretty much. And then all of a sudden the ICC came in and said, Great, and ripped up the line. And they were, I don't know, forced to slam into each other. Now the kiss. metaphor breaks down. <laughs> <laughs> That's what coupling is. Yeah. <laughs> So you had uh, so made yeah, the trains kiss. They basically had no preparation done by the time uh, the merger was approved. They had a few documents and books and things, but uh, neither Saunders or Perlman were really happy about these things. Uh, and like, basically, they'd fight over this. And Saunders, who was nominally in charge, uh, would decide that instead of agreeing to the changes that Perlman made. Uh, and or Perma insisted on saying, I'll pull out of this merger if you don't do this my way, they'd rather just do nothing. 
which is not a great managerial strategy. And you had, sort of you had brinksmanship. Fundamentally different railroads, not just in corporate culture, but physical plan, right? Yeah. So right. you have different standards of maintenance of the track. You have different electrical systems for the Central and the Pennsylvania Railroad um, and the New York, New Haven, and Hartford. Um, you know, the Pennsylvania Railroad, for instance, they bought diesels from the Baldwin Corporation of Philadelphia, right? Um, the New York Central bought uh, diesels from Electromotive Division of General Motors out of LaGrange. This was partially because the railroad served those two different plants. Um, that also meant that there were no parts commonality between the two fleets that were now being merged together. Uh, you had very different uh, freight cars as well. You had very different passenger cars. Um, all this stuff, suddenly on day one, you, you had two completely different railroads. You had to operate as one railroad with no planning, right? Um, Surprise. Yeah. yeah. Look uh, what we got you for your birthday. <laughs> it's so another on, railroad you have to run. On day one, uh, there were 5,000 new routes and new oh, origin no. destination pairs. <laughs> oh, no. As basically, on one day, every New York Central yard uh, clerk had to learn the entire Pennsylvania system and the other, other way around. Uh, they had received no training on these. So thousands and thousands of cars in the first few weeks were just put onto the wrong trains and sent to the wrong yards. Fuck it. Why not, right? Oops. Uh, there's a great quote from the yardmaster at Selkirk, which had been this wonderful computer-controlled yard, uh, who said, now they'd get a car for Harrisburg, which wasn't on the old Central, and they'd say, where the hell is Harrisburg? I know where, Pritz I know where Pittsburgh is. Shit, I'll just send it to Pittsburgh. Got a and so that, that car went. Went yeah. to Pittsburgh. <laughs> Fuck it. Uh, Steelers? Cars were sent through the system without waybills. Uh, waybills is just like a little piece of information that says where the car came from, what's in it, where it goes, the number of the actual car, whatever. It's uh, a, it's a so good information to have right there. It's true. Uh, and cars going through the system without waybills meant that nobody knew where they were supposed to go. So yardmasters just send them out on random trains or send out entire full trains of cars they didn't know where they were supposed to go oh, to other no. yards. Just literally like, not my problem not anymore. My problem. I need to get these out of my yard. <laughs> it's, See gone. Ya. it's gone. It's gone. It's gone. It, <laughs> and I forgive it. Just <laughs> incompatible train routing systems meant that entire trains got lost, uh, which oh is pretty God. incredible. That rules. Um, I mean, it sounds like absolute chaos. The Bangor and Aroostook Railroad, which was Maine's kind of big, big, small railroad, I guess. The big, small railroad uh, is a good way to describe it, yes. Because it had big some railroad of the, most the size of a small railroad. Some of the most important commerce in the state, the entire Aroostook uh, potato harvest, they sent, their, uh, they sent it by rail. Um, it all went on a series of a couple trains. It all went down to Selkirk Yard, right? And on these big, Pretty box cars that say state of Maine products on them. The thing about yeah, the potato those red, harvest, white, and blue ones. Yeah, the red, white, and blue ones that are always like, you know, Lionel makes them. And 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 these box cars were special because they had to have heaters because the potato harvest came out uh late fall, early winter. They yep. needed to be heated Freeze. to stay fresh. Well, they all went down on like I think one or two trains. They all went on the BNA out to Selkirk Yard, and then they lost them there. Yep. <laughs> oh yeah. They sat in the yard. 
All these cars with their little heaters, they all ran out of gas, and all the potatoes froze, and all of the potatoes rotted, and an entire season's worth of Maine's potato crops failed. Like, couldn't make it to market, nobody got paid. Oops. <laughs> Oops. Most efficient allocation of resources. This bankrupted the Bangor and Aroostook Railroad. Uh, really? Yeah. Which, because uh, Maine potatoes were, the farmers all swore off rail and trucked everything until last year was the first year oh. that Maine potatoes had been moved since the Penn Central fucked it up in 1969. Uh, so the Penn Central had the incredible ability to bankrupt railroads that weren't part of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, another story that I was, came across while researching for this was a 100 car coal train was lost outside of Syracuse for 10 days. How do you? What? How do you, I don't know. It, it, it'll turn up. It'll turn it'll up. Turn up eventually. It'll turn up. But they so trains would sit outside of yards because they'd be too full to take incoming trains, uh, which meant that crews would time out of them. Uh, you're not allowed just, to be what? Just yeah. bounce. Well, yeah. yeah so they you have, have to, to send a relief crew out by taxi, or because this means it's not technically a train anymore, which I think is ridiculous. You could just cut off the engines and leave. <laughs> But the engines are what counted in the computer system as like the train. So all of a sudden, all the cars weren't a train in the system anymore and just stayed there and sat there and just blocked main lines. And it was a huge disaster. <laughs> all right, I got the train in. Where's the cars? Where's the where's cars? Cares? I had to leave them. I'm not allowed to pull the rest of this train. <laughs> I've like, you know, so yeah, you just I'm had... going from I don't know where to I don't know where. Carrying nothing. Carrying uh, God knows. Yeah. Uh-huh. Where and are the cars? I left oh. it somewhere. Where are uh -huh. the cars? I'm not allowed to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> There's another great story in the early days of the Penn Central. Um, people working for the railroad realized that it was so mismanaged that they could uh, skim a little off the top. Hmm. Um, you know, these are like your blue collar guys. We'll get into white collar guys skimming off the top yeah. pretty soon. Uh, but what they would do is they would just go and take perfectly good rail cars and write them off as if they'd been in a wreck or had been scrapped. Uh, then they'd turn around, repaint them, and lease them back to the Penn Central. Ah. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> hell yeah. You shouldn't have been punished for that. Which is some pretty sloppy, you shouldn't be punished. It's some pretty incredible grift to, to pull that off. Yep. To have uh, a chop shop for fucking railroad cars. But like, yeah. you didn't even. They could just turn around and be like, yeah, it's wet leased, so it's in your paint job. You, you know, these are, these boxcars are- It has a um, number on it! You, you've you got should, 200 you of my boxcars. Oh my god. Yeah, I run the Jeff Railroad. <laughs> I, I love I love the idea Reporting of like Mark Jeff. Where, where 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 are you going? It's like I, I can't tell you that. This yeah. is sort of like the Langley and Fort Meade railroads. <laughs> it was bad. Uh, the Pet Central merge on day one, they had $13 million in cash reserves, which sounds like kind of a lot until you realize that the Pennsylvania Railroad alone spent more than $50 million a day. Oh, that's bad. <laughs> yeah, so that's they had not great. Six hours of cash reserve. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe less. Well, less. They had six hours of cash reserve on the Pennsylvania, not including the New Haven, not including the New York Central. Yeah. And $13 million of cash total. Uh, it was pretty bad. There is some good news, though. Yes. Uh, the unions took the Penn Central to the cleaners. Good. <laughs> yeah. It was unbelievable. Uh, 
they get, got a guarantee that everybody would keep their jobs. So nobody was made redundant in this merger. Incredible. Yeah. Which is a great way to realize the efficiencies of a combined system mm-hmm. is to everybody keep keeps the jobs. Yeah. Everybody keeps their jobs. Yeah. Uh, the unions also got a huge severance. So anybody that was fired or laid off uh, got a year of full pay for every five years of seniority that they had. Holy shit, dude. <laughs> which, especially for an industry like the railroads, which was... Um, I've been doing this since I was 14 years old. Exactly. I have right. two an fingers left. Business I, of, yeah, yeah. old heads. Yeah, everyone's a lifer. <laughs> they would get huge payouts, just obscene. Uh, and it burdened the Penn Central with enormous payroll overhead. Uh, also <laughs> helping, not helping this, was that Saunders went uh, behind Perlman's back. So Saunders was the, the chief, we'll, we'll see an org chart in a second. Yeah. Um, but Perlman had laid off a bunch of people who were not relevant to a streamlined New York Central, uh, specifically mail clerks. Uh, they had a thousand or two thousand RPO like mail clerks. The RPO's mail was a now, railway post office. Yes. Yeah. The mail was now shipped airmail or truck, so they'd laid them off. Uh, you know, sorry, your service is no longer required. A year or two later, Penn Central comes around. You guys are rehired. Welcome back to the Penn Central. Here's your new incredibly high pay, ro- pay rate and all these crazy new benefits and everything. Uh, this pissed Saunders off like you would not believe. Hell yes. Wait, Saunders or Perlman? Sorry, it's pissed Perlman off Perlman, like you would right. not believe. <laughs> uh, I was about to say, they just rehired a lot of people who have no job to do. <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> for the hell of it, apparently. They had no real use or place in this new railroad, then they just were now on the payroll. I will say, big L for the USPS on that one, too, though, because they had built... Uh, barely 30 years earlier, some of the largest and grandest post office in the United States, right next to Pennsylvania Railroad's major rail terminals. And yep. none of those are in use now. Um, <laughs> I regret to inform you, uh, I have to drop off. Okay. Oh, we we oh, overran a little bit. All right. Bye, Liam. Bye, Liam. Bye guys. Good luck. Leaving, we're two slides from the end. Yeah. Only another hour or so to go. <laughs> all right i took this picture of a uh, organizational chart from the uh, wreck of the penn central you can see so yeah this is the org chart this is one um, of the first mega mergers that ever happened right mm, um, yeah. and you can see they've helpfully color-coded everyone's allegiance yes um and, and it's it's today when you have a mega merger again uh all business is just people going on the computer, right? Yep. Um, and this is uh, this was very different from the Penn Central, where you had you know people who had allegiances, people who had very different cultures, and the way they decided to integrate this was that each level of management would alternate between a red hat on the Pennsylvania Railroad and a green hat from the New York Central. <laughs> Yeah, they they insisted on merging as equal. So even though the Pennsylvania was the nominal survivor, it was basically just nominal. Um, mm. You know, in a modern merger, you'd basically have one company eat the other one and the entire executive suite would stay minus a couple, maybe. This they really tried to interleave these things thinking this will solve it. Yeah, absolute discontinuity of management at every level. For sure. This meant that basically 
everybody hated their management and they hated their direct reports. I I yeah. love that for a few of these and um, pretty important important directorships like uh, the assistant vice president of transportation, uh, the director of industrial development, the director of real estate, uh, even the general solicitor. Some of those are two guys, one each from each previous railroad. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you you have you you have, have to a share a desk. You're allocated one chair. It's like and a kicking knife. each other in the shins. I'm yeah, yeah, surprised yeah. there weren't fist fights in uh, in in management. Yeah. Um, For, oh, how do we know there weren't? Good point. Well, I know that um, Perlman uh, refused to come to Philadelphia, which is where the nominal headquarters were, unless he was expressly directed to. Uh, yes. He kept doing all his business from the New York Central Building. Um, <laughs> And that was kind of how it went overall. And of course, before email and everything, uh, you ended up with a lot of directives skipping levels. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right. So Perlman, instead of having to talk to, you know, his direct reports, would just go around them and talk to the New York Central guys just under them. And then uh, I can't blame Perlman for wanting to stay in the New York Central building. It was much better than Six Pence Center. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> So corporate cultures, you know, as we sort of alluded to in the history, could not have been more different either. Mm. The Pensy was a highly structured, uh, and from, from the men who love trains, it was a militarized organization. Yes. You're supposed to call your superiors, sir. Nice. Uh, so not even like last name. It's like, uh, excuse mm -hmm. me, sir. Um, and they still acted as if the Pennsylvania was like a gold-plated moneymaker um, <laughs> with, you know, enormous coffers and and it did genuinely have a very strong military history. I mean, I, I think it, did. it was uh, it was probably not until after I think it wasn't until Cassett that people who ran the Pennsylvania Railroad didn't go through West Point. Um. Mm. Um, there was enormous infighting and corruption on the Pennsylvania side of things. Uh, every manager basically like made also, their an, also an incredible military tradition. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They, they had their team and they'd kind of make a little inner circle of confidants and then try to fend off attacks from others for jobs. And, you know, you'd, you'd get a promotion, then immediately turn around and make sure nobody was going to sabotage you because they were jealous of not getting the promotion. It's <laughs> absurd. It's uh, a, it, it was like a, it, it was an incredible bureaucracy for the bulk of his existence. And it sort of just started collapsing. And as it collapsed, it decided to absorb the New York Central. <laughs> imagine, imagine being a, a, a New Haven and Hartford guy in the middle of this, watching these two sets of executives just go at each other, and oh, you're God. just like also present with your little <laughs> joke toy railroad. <laughs> go back to Connecticut, asshole. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Pennsylvania but if Danbury's got any more hats for you to move. There's <laughs> <laughs> uh, a quote from the men who love trains. Uh, no other railroad in the industry was disliked as much as the Pennsylvania. <laughs> Which, it's basically you know, the, honestly, late, the late Soviet Union of railroads. <laughs> yeah, it was good. <laughs> and then it was destroyed by revisionism. Yes. <laughs> 
Uh, this could not have contrasted more with the actually good New York Central, uh, which was led by Perlman, much more modern and casual. They were uh, imaginative is the word that keeps coming up in research. It was informal young men leading a lean and hungry organization. Uh, yeah, which, meanwhile, of course, all of these like crew cut ice chewing psychos yeah. hate these guys. Hate them. <laughs> Just hate their guts. Well, uh, I've been thinking about boxcars since I was 12, in and this guy shows up. <laughs> in fairness, Saunders was chosen by Sims. One of the criteria was that he was young, which is yes. uh, 54. Um, <laughs> 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 it's, it was not great uh, one of the biggest things was that um, the Pennsylvania Railroad was very staunch in like where ideas came from you didn't do anything unless you were told to by your superior uh, meanwhile like the New York Central said like yeah ideas can kind of come from anywhere like if you are some yard master and you have a better idea how to do this go and tell your superior hey I think I can make this more efficient go for it, uh, it, it and it's like you know, there's power relations now where, like, you know, you can't you can't go up the corporate chain so easily today, even with modern corporate culture. But the Pennsylvania Railroad was like, no, do as you're told. It was something else. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, needless to say, when when you have somebody like uh, the assistant vice vice president of accounting going and suggesting something to the uh, vice president and comptroller controller, can't remember what you're supposed to pronounce that as. But these people would get deeply offended and it would just piss off everybody because all of a sudden, just like, wait, you think you can suggest that you think you can tell me what to do, says the <laughs> Pennsylvania guy. Yeah. And, the you know, and then you'd end up the opposite direction where former New York Central guys would be like, my guys aren't making any suggestions. Like, mm. I'm a level removed from actual operations from these guys. They're the ones that have to be kind of taking these ideas and filtering them and telling me what to advise other people on. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm sitting backwards on my chair and everything, and I'm getting nothing getting from nothing, them. Exactly. Yeah, yeah and, it's basically. Can you imagine sitting backwards on a chair in front of your flat-topped West Point guys? <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, you know we're just gonna keep it casual. Just come and uh, give me up, anybody. Keep an, keep, an, keep an open door policy. Yeah, exactly. No, absolutely not. It's also the opposite of what kept the uh, Pennsylvania Railroad so dynamic in like the 1840s through like the 1870s. You know, because that was when it was very dynamic organization and no one could actually figure out what was in charge of what. Uh, yeah. But, you know, people just did stuff and, it, you know, it worked very well. Um, Definitely. Uh, and the New York Central was like that before, you know, in the yeah. Vanderbilt era. I don't think Vanderbilt was taking, uh, you know, doing town hall meetings. He's more of a <laughs> sort of Frank Reynolds character, really. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you went to Nicaragua in 1920 to open a sweatshop. <laughs> 1820. No, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so uh, this was tricky, um, especially like with dealing with how a broke railroad should operate. New York yeah. Central guys were used to it. Pennsylvania guys, not so much. They had continued to operate as if they weren't broke. It's more uh, of a more of a baroque railroad, really. Uh, yeah. Hmm. Uh, 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 which meant that you know the New York Central side of things was a little more more able to react to these changes, and the Pennsylvania was less able. And at an executive level, nobody was able to do shit. Hmm. Well, they were able to do shit though, which was corruption. That's true. 
All right. This is such a good slide. <laughs> it took me ten minutes in Photoshop. Uh, <laughs> this is this is this is because uh, of diversification, and I figured, yes. you know. So, prior to the merger, and when the merger seemed uncertain, the Pennsylvania Railroad had some ambitions for diversification, and this is during the era when conglomerates started to form, and there were mm. good examples of this working. The Atchison, Topeka, and Santa Fe, for example diversified into like a million different industries until the ICC caught up and told them, no, you can't do that. Um, but uh, this is yeah. where we have to talk about David Crumley Bevan. Right. Oh, people love to be, love to be named David Crumley Bevan. He's another, he's another um, uh, main line guy born in 1906. He had established himself as one of America's foremost financiers by the time he was hired by the Pennsylvania Railroad in 1951 as chief financial officer and mm. a vice president of the Pennsylvania Railroad. Um, and as CFO, he developed an insular group within the company, right? Um, if you didn't talk to Bevan, Bevan didn't talk to you. Um, he, he, his group was known as Bevan's Railroad, right? Um, ah, perfect little sort of miniature cartel. Yeah, he does. He does all the finances, and you can see the finances, I guess, if you really want to. But first, you have to have a relationship with Bevan of some kind. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> you have to have him like the. Uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to make that joke. Actually, I'm. I'm better than that. Well, in the time that Bevan, I'm, I'm not. But yeah. like, I'm still not going to make it. And it's it's all ice chewing Protestant shit. You know. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. Or you, you have to like do a bunch of like weird Freemason shit with this guy. I believe Saunders uh, mentioned um, in the wreck of the Penn Central because he was interviewed. Uh, he, he was like, "Well, in the years that Bevan served under me, uh, he never invited me to his house for dinner, even though our houses were a mile from each other." <laughs> <laughs> I never knew his first name. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Bevan. You know, he 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 developed a reputation as you know he good with finances, right? Um, and it was apparent that he could be president of the Pennsylvania Railroad, right? He would be hmm. he would be the big guy. But then James Sims leapfrogged ahead of him. He became president in 1962, right? And um, once someone else a mistake else, which he'd come to regret for the rest of his life. <laughs> yes, bad bad decision. Um, mm. And Bevan decided, well, I'm not going to run the railroad, but I can make some money from it. Mm -hmm. So he, along with a few other Pennsylvania Railroad executives, formed an investment club. <laughs> called, this is what you want to hear. Yeah. From your money guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was called the Penn Phil Company, right? Clever. In the late days of the Pennsylvania Railroad and the early days of the Penn Central, um, they got loans from the same bank as the Penn Central, as the Chemical Bank of New York, I want to say, and they started investing in companies and projects which the Penn Central just happened to also invest in, right? Yeah, but of course they didn't know that because otherwise that would be uh, insider trading insider and that would be trading, illegal. This is, this is a coincidence. Mm -hmm. No conflict of interest here. Um, no. Right. So uh, these are, again, these are all Pennsylvania Railroad finance executives. Um, 
they start to invest in pipelines, industrial parks in Texas, strip malls and sunbelt housing developments. You know, uh, as, as Jay put in here, it's a great idea investing in housing that makes your railroad assets less relevant. Uh, yep. They invest in, in, in investing in a series of like schemes that the villain of a film noir, like detective yes. movie, would do. But yeah. like, I can't imagine, like, at least invest in local, right? It's like, yeah. move to this housing and never use the Pennsylvania Railroad again. Yes. Uh, they invest in Six Flags amusement parks. I think they owned it outright at one point. <sighs> that sounds about right. I mean, at that point, it was just being divested from the remnants of the inner urban companies. Yeah. Um, and a little company called Executive Jet Aviation. Good one. Uh, Remember what I was going to say. The reason why the Pennsylvania Railroad started divesting, uh, or started diversifying, was using the money that they got from selling off their shares from the Norfolk and Western. Great. <laughs> yes. The only thing that made money. Consistently. <laughs> yeah, in favor of a bunch of, like, scams and bullshit. Pretty much. Well, here we go. Executive Jet Aviation was founded by a man named Olbert Dick Lassiter. <laughs> Not sure, like, I'm always questionable about people who go by the name Dick. Yeah. But if mm -hmm. your name's Olbert? Yeah. No, you went by both. You gotta, have, you gotta have Dick. the Olbert and the Dick. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Just, it's, it's old Dick for short. Mm -hmm. He was a retired Air Force Brigadier General, and his job in the Air Force was to run an air taxi service to ferry generals from one place to another. Right? Uh, that's cool. So you had you're, a, you're a brigadier general and you're a chauffeur. Yeah, exactly. Well, so he operated a fleet of small aircraft to bring Air Force guys from anywhere to anywhere as quickly as possible. Right? Mm hmm. And his idea for executive jet aviation what if we replicate that service as a sort of show, uh, jet chauffeur service for guys who are not wealthy enough? to own their own private jet, but wealthy enough that they can charter a plane. Mm -hmm. You get the sort of fleet efficiency of having a fleet of private planes that go from one destination to another. Well, if it was stupid enough for the Air Force, it's stupid enough for civilian life. Oh my god. So if, this sounds, if this sounds familiar to anybody, uh, it's because this company is still around doing the same thing. They're just called NetJets now. Yes. <laughs> It's got to be sexy. This is how we get to all of our live shows. Now, over, <laughs> over like the existence of Penn Central, they quietly invested $25 million into the company. Um, but it was also, you know, controlled by the Penn Phil Cabal, right? Um, mm. And Bevan was doing the investing, so no one knew about it, unless you knew Bevan. In which case, of you course. didn't tell anyone else. <laughs> no, because you had been like initiated into the various mysteries of like the square and compass or whatever. Yeah, it's um, it's the keystone and the R's. <laughs> 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 so the the board of directors of this company is composed entirely of guys in Penfill or Penfill companies. Uh, their best customer was Bevan and fellow executive Charlie Hodge. Mostly flying from Philadelphia to Boca Raton, right? Mm. Um, but also, they chartered a lot of flights for Pennsylvania Railroad uh, executives because by like the 1950s, 
Pennsylvania Railroad executives really prided themselves on never using their own trains. Cool. Of course. Yes. Yeah. Every, the, the, days, got- <laughs> the days of having like a, a special limousine that you had fitted with a couple of rail wheels were long since over, right? Roman had- actually did that. Really? It was, a, it was a Cadillac and it's sick. Wow. Fuck that rules. He's got a sick 50s Cadillac limo too, so it's been stretched first, but then it has a high rail. Yeah, Saunders lived next to the Ardmore station and worked in Suburban Station, I want to say, and had a chauffeur drive him there. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck railroads. Meanwhile, <laughs> you know, not to stay on my high horse of how much better the Central and Perlman were, but he would go on like three week rail only trips to go and see like the intricacies of the network and visit yards and things to like mm. quiz operators on their shit find out what the deal is yeah exactly i would say the pennsylvania railroad was more like uh they had they had a the, the relationship with the railroad was similar to i don't know the protestant relationship with god uh, <laughs> it, it forgives you all of your trespasses yes so the icc at this point and the civil aviation board uh, had had uh, ruled that railroads owning airlines was illegal right highly illegal Oily illegal. Executive jet aviation, as sound as the concept was, um, was relying on Penn Central Railroad money to operate. Mm. Uh, But it wasn't technically an airline. It was an air taxi service, which is something that no one had figured out what it was yet. But they set their... It's, It's like an airline, but less regulated. Yes. So they set their sights on acquiring an existing airline called Johnson Flying Services. And they would somehow get this past regulators, right? Mm. Um, and they went so ahead... Could, um, under the radar, as it were. Yes. And then they went ahead and purchased two uh, Boeing 707s and two Boeing 727s, which they couldn't legally operate with <laughs> Penn Central money. <laughs> Oh, but God. I mean, th- listen. I'm prepared to forgive this if they put the pinstripes on them. Ah, uh, no, they would. It, you'd have to do the black dip. Oh, with you're the right. Pen you're right. Yeah, of black course. With the mating worms. Uh, yeah. Uh, that's not so good. I do can still kind of want to see it, but yeah, not as much. <laughs> I could only find one crappy watermarked picture of any executive jet aircraft. And they had like a cool sort of cool but like very literal and overdrawn compass logo on the tail and that's that's the sign of a legitimate business right there you go, yeah <laughs> yeah you, do you want it can you can i see one of your planes and you're like no. uh no uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> no no, no. <laughs> it's, it's in the it's in the back next to the steam locomotive we definitely don't have <laughs> i got a tarp over it <laughs> next to one of the, the one of the mohawks yeah <laughs> what's crazy is that technically this does mean that you know at the time penn central owned like brand new 727s and also were like still operating turn of the century electrics in like daily service yes <laughs> You know, prob- there are probably some like some late 1800s cars still around in like maintenance service and shit too. Absolutely. Yeah. So, executive jet airlines um, circumvented the regulators by leasing these planes to other airlines. Uh, there was Transavia, which um, operated in Europe, 
and International Air Bahamas, both of which were controlled by executive jet uh, airline uh, executives, right? Yeah, it was like a self-dealing. It was self-dealing, and neither of them could possibly make payments on the leases, right? Right. Hmm. (laughs) Um, And they had bigger ambitions, right? The idea behind Executive Jet is they would become a worldwide on-demand charter airline. Uber for planes. Yes, but Mm -hmm. 60 years before Uber. Yes, maybe... Maybe Uber's the executive jet aviation of cars. Yeah. yeah, maybe. And so Pan Am heard about this and they took notice. Pan, Pan American Airlines, right? And so did the Civil Aviation Board. And they ordered Penn Central to divest um, this company, right? And so they tried to pawn it off on U.S. Steel. Which was traditionally <laughs> just what, one <laughs> one uh, group of robber barons gets mad at another, and they attempt to like pawn off a company on a third group of them. Yes, well, uh, U.S. Steel had traditionally been a very um, they were big Pennsylvania Railroad fans. There, um, in fact, mm. the uh, the big steelworks near Pittsburgh is still called the J. Edgar Thompson <laughs> Works after the first president of the Pennsylvania Railroad. Um, <laughs> I think what's hilarious about this is due to the fact that this was all Bevan's secret shit, the Civil Aviation Board writing to Six Penn Center would have been the first time, like, Saunders even would have heard of this. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Just like, just like unfolding this, like, I own an airline? Airline? Wait, what? what? Why would I get mail from the Civil Aviation Board? <laughs> I, I, I'm not supposed to own an airline. <laughs> you must sell immediately. Wait, what the fuck? So there was a, a secret meeting at the U.S. Steel offices in New York, um, which was ostensibly to discuss divesture and acquisition of Penn Central shares by U.S. Steel. But um, Dick Lassiter instead explained in detail all the illegal contracts with foreign airlines <laughs> executive jet had. I do like to have a meeting that's ostensibly for something, but is actually about full yeah, discussion of yeah, yeah. my deep multinational yep. illegal activity. I'm just going to explain all of my criminal activity. Should take uh, two to three hours. Um, in addition to this, the notes from this meeting were acquired, uh, were, were, were written down in a secret blue book, which only Lassiter and Charlie Hodge were supposed to have access to, right? Great, sure. Makes sense. Okay. Just look, you, just, you write down all your crimes in a nice little book. I, I think Stringer Bell had a line about this, but, uh, you know, I, I guess these guys hadn't seen The Wire. <laughs> so it just so happened that someone in the meeting was a double agent for Pan Am. <laughs> I, I love corporate espionage so much, dude. I genuinely do. <laughs> Just like, the, the, the stakes of this are so fucking... Like, you, you go to this meeting, listen to the guy explain all of the shit that he did, and then tell us. And so... James Bond! <laughs> they got a copy of the blue book and photocopied it and mailed it to the civil aviation board. (laughs) 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 
You fucking knocks. Yeah. The only way that this would have been more ironic is if the postal service still used trains and it was delivered to the Civil Aviation Board <laughs> on a Penn Central train. So this was in 1969, and uh, Bevan was very unhappy with this development. But he didn't fire Lassiter or make any changes in the company he ostensibly controlled by way of the railroad of whose finances he controlled, right? And it's sort of like, okay, why didn't he do this? And in the meantime, Dick Lassiter was living the high life, right? Mm. His salary at Executive Jet was $58,000 a year. In 1960-something, yeah. yeah, And his expense account was about the same. Oh, my God. This is when the executives of Pan Am and United Airlines had an expense account of $7,000 a year. Still a lot. I mean, mm. And his his expenses, he was just charging everything to the expense account, right? Uh, He charged $2,850 for furniture for his apartment in Manhattan. He charged $19,000 for use of his own apartment in Manhattan for his business, right? He charged $116,000 to buy his girlfriend a house. I mean, listen, coming around on this guy, actually. Um, He set up the executive jet headquarters in Columbus, Ohio, uh, in just the most opulent settings, again, for 1969, at a full gymnasium and had a squash court, uh, had tennis courts. Um, They had a full-time masseuse. Um, And then (laughs) Lassiter was also a womanizer, right? Hmm. But the money he spent on his woman, who he eyesed, was all <laughs> executive jets. Of course, of course. Yes. Right. He was, there was a, a woman he met at the Indy 500. Um, I, need to, I need to open a book for this. I didn't put this in the notes. Um, let, me, let me find this. Uh-huh. For what it's worth, I plug these numbers in the inflation calculator and his $58,000 a year salary is equivalent to a $450,000 a year salary now. And that's with the fucking air he breathed expense to the company as well. uh, Plus like transport not even having to be expensed because he can just get a fucking jet anywhere to anywhere. Yeah. This is from uh, Wreck of the Penn Central uh, page 197. At the Indianapolis 500 race on Memorial Day 1967, Lassiter met a generously proportioned blonde oh, named... I'd love to be generously proportioned. Named Linda Vaughn. Miss Vaughn was also known as Miss Hurst Golden Shifter. Uh, mm. <laughs> and she okay. toured the auto circuit, auto racing circuit for Hurst Performance Products Company of Warminster, Pennsylvania. Trying to drum up business for the firm. Huh. Uh, um, hold on. Miss Vaughn became engaged to Lassiter in 1968, and he presented her with a diamond ring, which she later estimated was 10 carats in weight during their friendship, because <sighs> I don't think they ever got married. Lassiter flew her to Europe twice at EJA expense. And I was about to say, that's probably <laughs> Penn Central's 10 carat diamond. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, 
Um, I mean, I just I, I, but, and this was you know something something about a railroad yes. was involved in this story at some point. Well, he was also an enabler, right, ah, of his okay. various friends, many of whom worked for Penn Central, or hmm. rather worked for Bevan or were Bevan. <laughs> So back in 1964, before the, before the merger, he was on a party on a yacht. This same yacht would later feature in the film Thunderball as the Disco Volante. Huh. Um, <laughs> oh, shit. Yes. Lasseter met Joseph Ricciardi, who was sort of a Miami fixer guy, and he wound up on the payroll of Executive Jet as uh, public relations. Okay. Uh, but the main relations he facilitated were of another kind, right? <laughs> okay. Ricky Artie's unofficial function was to take the stress off of Bevan and Hodge during the difficult Penn Central merger process, which he did by finding them dates to accompany them on their many and various business trips. Uh-huh. Yeah. Sure. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now, this all came to a head on July 1st, 1970, after Pan Am had uh, really forced the Civil Aviation uh, Board's uh, hand and um, made Penn Central formally divest. It was I mean, one, uh, of, one, of my, one of my favorite types of guy, right, is the, the American, one of the, my favorite and <laughs> one of the most American types of guys, is the kind of guy, right, who engages in a scam that requires law enforcement activity from a branch of the federal government you didn't think had that. <laughs> like, <laughs> whether, whether that's a guy who, as a consequence of his scams, is being pursued out of his apartment by the US postal inspectors, or the Fish and Wildlife Service, <laughs> or uh, <laughs> some shit like that. The idea of the civil aviation... <laughs> Honestly, kicking this guy's door down at three in the morning is just mwah, perfect. Exactly. Freeze, right. They show this badge. It's like, wait, it's just it's civil like, aviation. It's like, what? Like, what? <laughs> this was. This came out in a later deposition over control of the uh, a court case over control of the company. Um, but what happened was Penn Central was forced to divest by Pan Am. Um, <laughs> these shares were held in trust by the Detroit Bank and Trust Company. On July 1st, 1970, the trustee was like, this Lasseter guy's a moron. We're going to replace him, right? So they replaced mm. him with Bruce Sutherland, who was a lawyer who had been working there for a while, but they trusted a lot more, right? So Bruce Sutherland organized a raiding party, <laughs> which entered the executive jet offices at midnight. That same day. <laughs> oh my God. To seize the corporate documents before Lasseter could destroy them. <laughs> <laughs> and they went through all the financial improprieties, but for some reason, stored on site were all the pictures of oh no. mainly of Lasseter in the company of many young women in varying states of undress. Uh -huh. um, all blonde with big boobs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you gotta have those in, in your filing cabinet. Of yeah, course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It's, they're right next to each other. One's, it's like you're, you're uh, filing through it with your fingers. It's like improprieties, financial. Yes. Next one, improprieties. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, and so Sutherland took no chances 
um, he called the Pinkerton Detective Agency and said, oh. hey, give me some armed guards in front of the Columbus, <laughs> Ohio office here, right? Um, and so the Pinkerton showed up. They were patrolling the outside of the building. A lot of these photos, the more the ones that were appropriate for publication found their way into all the major newspapers. <laughs> this executive jet aviation business tying it back to Penn Central was um, in all the newspapers instantly, right? Um, and it turned out Sutherland was correct to have those Pinkertons because Brigadier General Lassiter decided to show up three weeks later with a bunch of armed goons to retake the company by force. <laughs> Just this, see this, the, the, uh, <laughs> how would that work? If you show up to the office, you, what, do you call the Detroit bank and trust back being like, Hey, guess what? Yeah. You seize, you seize the radio stations and you go, <laughs> I am now president for life of executive aviation. <laughs> I'm president for life of this co company. That's never made money. <laughs> <laughs> what? And like, why? Why? What, what was all of this in aid of? And why did the why did Penn Central keep funding it? So that is a good question. Um, because they knew they for a period of time at least they knew because he explained it to them presumably with like a PowerPoint of his own sex photos. Well, presumably because he also <laughs> yeah, had sex also photos of Bevan and Hodge. Exactly. Fuck. Shit. In okay. Bevan's office back in Philadelphia. Yeah. That's he also all... has a file in propriety. I make sure to store all my own blackmail. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want anyone else to have it. I can only blackmail myself. I do it constantly. <laughs> <laughs> Uncovering such a rich vein of fucking weird guys. <laughs> <laughs> this, this Pennsylvania Railroad flat top guys. This is just incidentally the sexiest thing they can imagine is a blonde woman with big tits, yes. and they're constantly engaged in a scheme of cat and mouse about all of the photos they keep of themselves. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> Protestantism, it's a curse. What if my wife, who I hate, finds out about this? <laughs> oh my god. Lassiter shows up with his group of armed goons. Yeah. And the problem is, no one wants to fight a pitched battle over control of a failing not airline. <laughs> or, or more, more importantly, a filing cabinet full of sexy photos. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Bevan and Hodge's impropriety came out in a later deposition by Ricky Artie in a court case over control of the airline, right? Or not airline. Mm. So the result of this was the railroad wasted $26 million that no one knew they were spending and no one knew they had on a small, not airline. And this was a railroad which at any given time had less than $10 million cash on hand. Great. Yeah. Incredible. Um, and that was, that was the investment side. The amount they paid for flying executives from one place to another rather than using their own trains. Uh, this 
300, $350,000, I think. Um, <laughs> Jesus. Ridiculous and stupid. And there's also not a chance that this was the only place this was happening. No, and no, only this was, way this was happening, and just this is just the funniest. Yeah, this is <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is, the, this is the sex scandal that made it to the papers. I, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure these, um, the, the, these people had many other weird sex scandals that were that didn't come to light. If you went through, yeah, this is this is publishable because the sexiest thing imaginable to them, because they're all weird Protestants, is a blonde woman with big tits. Exactly. Right? If you if you went through six pen center, um. You know, back in the Penn Central days, and you went through every filing cabinet. Every other filing cabinet would be um, pictures of Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, guys, have you seen this? I mean, I, you, you, I I I see what you're saying, and I think we're coming to a synthesis here, which is we have to say that the the Pennsylvania Railroad killed Marilyn Monroe. I mean, the issue. The issue we are fundamentally presented with is the Pennsylvania Railroad had no kinks. <laughs> <laughs> that's true, that's true. It was like the kind of kink where it's like, it's so normal that it comes back out round the other side and becomes the <laughs> weirdest shit. Yes. Like uh, incinerating uh, your own railroad because you want to see like a single boob. Yes. Um, these people are repressed. Uh, mm. You just this military organization it, it sows the seeds of his own destruction because no one can get off at anything <laughs> other than the most basic. Oh yeah, things. absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Anyway, also the railroad was garbage. Yeah, also the railroad, <laughs> which was the main point of this episode. That was the main point of this episode. Um, and Executive Jet didn't bankrupt the railroad, but as we mentioned, it's a symptom of the endemic corruption. And dysfunction throughout really the Pennsylvania Railroad side of the organization, right? Which again, that was most of upper management or the upper, upper mm. side of management, right? Um, yeah. I guess in, in part two, we'll look closer at the um, broader economic factors which were bringing this railroad to its knees. Part two, we'll look at the sex scandals of the New Haven executives. I can't imagine <laughs> that. They're too, they're, they're too Puritan. Um, that's a whole different. That's a whole different yeah, kind you, you, of uh, you go, psychosis. You, you go through their headquarters and the filing cabinets, like buried behind like two false uh, containers, is like a photograph of a woman's ankle taken from forty feet away. Yes, six men have been killed to preserve its secret. <laughs> <There's>, they're, <laughs> they're, everyone's wearing hats with buckles. <laughs> <laughs> well, what did we learn? Uh, railroads, yes, tra 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 trains, if you will. Yes, you don't get to do a mega merger right on your first try. Uh, the, 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 that I want very much for us to sell a T-shirt of uh, the Apollo lander in Pennsylvania railroad livery. <laughs> I wonder, because I know the the Bud Company got into rocket part manufacturing for a little bit. I mm. wonder if the Pennsylvania Railroad had anything to do. The Apollo landings. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if they had, they had a finger in that pod, you know? <laughs> I'm sure. And honestly, this is all like, we're joking about the moon landing stuff, but like, this is also the late 60s. Like, this is when this was happening. So yeah, I'm sure yeah. that some of the sites, right? This is when you get the like TWA moon lander 
graphics and things. So I'm 100% <laughs> sure true. that Pennsylvania was like, how can we become the Pennsylvania and moon? <laughs> Penn Central slipped Neil Armstrong a 50 to take a filing cabinet's worth of documents up and bury them on the moon where they would never be found. No, that's what gets you off, is it might be found. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. Yeah, this is the whole thing. <laughs> it's like under the American flag. Yes. <laughs> Just goes and unfurls the flag, and instead of an American flag, it's a picture of Bevan <laughs> with big tits. <laughs> and two giant tits for mankind. <laughs> oh god! All right, this is the three-hour podcast episode, Psychoses. Yes, yeah. We have a segment on this podcast called Safety Oh, thank God. Take us home. Thank God. Hey, neat trifles. Um, yes. Hello, well, there's your problem, comrades. Today, I hi. have a story about a situation even worse than an unsafe work environment. An unsafe school environment. Hell yes. It's like prison or something. IDK, I haven't read Foucault. You basically don't need to. You've got the gist already. That's true. I was in eighth grade taking a semester-long shop class, primarily focused on woodworking. I wish I had some shop class. Um, you didn't have shop class? Didn't have I shop, had a shop class. class in eighth grade. Oh, um, that's a bummer. No, they, 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 they didn't give a shit. They never let you touch a machine. <laughs> no wonder you weren't scared off from engineering. <laughs> <laughs> Our shop class was called Design and Technology because it was highfalutin, and I've I've mentioned this before, but my DT teacher's big brag was that he had invented the anti-homeless bench. Oh my god. Ooh. Mm-hmm. What was ours called? Ours was called Minuteman Tech. I grew up in the huh. Northeast. Why not uh why study industrial arts? Um, <laughs> under the best of circumstances, giving a bunch of 13 to 14 year olds access to power tools is a bad idea. But it's even worse when the instructor of said children doesn't really give a shit. Hmm. The teacher of this class was pretty old. We'll call him Mr. Michaels because I can't remember his name. He would gesture vaguely at an assignment, for most part, allow the students to figure out what it is they were meant to do and how they were meant to do it. This laissez-faire attitude it also extended to safety. Beyond making us wear shitty old safety glasses, he never really instructed us on how to safely use the equipment in the class. Good. I don't remember exactly what the assignment was, but it's not really important. I was at the bandsaw, picture attached for reference, cutting a squat rectangular block of wood corner to corner. Now, if Mr. Michaels had been a little more proactive about safety, he might have taught the class that when sawing a piece of wood, you should push it into the blade with another piece of wood. So that when you get through your cut, you don't push your hand into the blade. Hey, I was never taught this either, and I still have all of my fingers and thumbs. Well, however... Yeah. This was something I was not aware of as a dumb, tired 13-year-old. I guess you should have got good. I'm just smarter, I guess. Gotta get good. That's <laughs> RIP right. to your thumb, but I'm different. Another lesson of the Penn Central merger. Mm. They just got good at railroading. <laughs> That's true. That's true. 
Well, that's part three, when the Penn Central did get good at railroading. <laughs> that's true. And they were named Conrail. <laughs> <laughs> Instead, I was pushing the wood into the blade with the flat of my thumb, diagram attached. As I was absentmindedly cutting, I noticed a sharp, hot pain in my thumb and looked down to see blood starting to go everywhere. No. Slightly delirious, I walked quietly over to Mr. Michaels and showed him my thumb, at which he looked with a horrified expression and told me to go to the nurse's office. Upon them taking a look, it was determined that it wasn't as bad as it seemed. The cut only went about halfway through my thumb. That still seems pretty bad. That's pretty bad, yeah. It was only through my apparent quick reflexes that I avoided cutting the tip of my thumb off. So they put a couple of band-aids on it and I had to finish the rest of the school day. <laughs> okay, that's f- g- great. Yeah. Great. Fantastic. Imagine it like flopping around. Yeah. <laughs> suit suit yourself. That's uh because mm-hmm. suit your suit. Oh. Yes, I, I got the joke. Because mm. a suture is a kind of stitch in a, in a medical context. It's so. true. It's true. Mr. Michaels didn't take this as a learning opportunity to emphasize safety more. He just kept not giving a shit. My only consolation was that towards the end of the semester, he stopped showing up to his own class. So a substitute finished out finals week. What's finals we- in a shop class? You have to make it like a wooden box or something. Oh. I um, I I mean, I I think we should make teachers' unions about nine thousand percent stronger, so that like all teachers can be like this. That would be pretty good. I mean, considering what uh what what Jason said about throwing children in the canal, um, mm-hmm. that would be a good step towards that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, Dutch utopia. just absolutely bulletproof teachers union every child submerged in a canal Um, I can just kill any child who annoys me it's fine. Absolutely. <laughs> the thing is, the thing is, right, as a society, we mixed up the power of uh, cop unions and teachers unions, yes. right? Uh, <laughs> cop unions should be under constant assault from politicians and should be banned from doing anything. And teachers unions should, like, be able to make or break any political candidate and get anybody off of any misconduct charge. I, basically, yeah. And, like, teachers unions, um, especially in urban areas, um, all the teachers are black, right? So yeah. they're gonna they're gonna be biased against white people for once. Yeah, we can finally yeah. start doing anti-white racism. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I think it's it's time to make it happen. I think it's time to make the fraternal order of educators happen. Yeah, I. Yeah, well, they also have like a deeply problematic Twitter account that brags about. Like, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Look, at, look at all the kids we fed into a wood chipper. <laughs> all the yeah, pencils you, you, they took. You, yeah. you go into homeroom and your uh, your teacher has like a Punisher skull sticker on his desk, and you're like, oh boy, oh my god. <laughs> they're still they're they're constantly complaining about the lack of chalk. Um, you know, but it's like a major political issue. You just the Twitter account just has a photo of a note from one student calling another student gay, and it's like off the streets this week. <laughs> like that, and one of those like pencils with or pens with like the eight different colors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, an, an intelligence-led search uh, led to the confiscation of this dangerous weapon. The TI-83 with all the answers to the test programmed into it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I 100% believe this. Cops and teachers should switch places in terms of how, how we value them. Yes. <laughs> This is not the most deftifying or exciting of safety thirds, but we can all use a little laugh at the negligence of the safety of children. Absolutely. Thank, I'm always saying this. Thank you all for the great podcast, and I hope you have a great day. From Dan. Postscript, go Packers. Shake hands with danger. Too bad that Liam wasn't there for that. Sh- shake yeah. thumbs with danger. Our next episode is on the Boston Molasses disaster. Uh, does anyone have commercials before we go? Uh, did you, did you want to like plug anything? Uh, sure. I can, I'm on Twitter at B Uh, good luck spelling that. I'm on YouTube at B Good luck spelling that. Uh, and I do have a Patreon for a city skylines project that I promise you is not dead. I'm just very busy. I love like going around. Do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've honestly, We've been talking for like months that like next episode Presidio Bay and the next episode Franklin, same day. We're going to do it. This is curious. What day that is? Good uh, question. question mark. (laughs) (laughs) But get ready for that double feature. Yes. Um, Great. Perfect. All right. Listen, listen to all of my podcasts. Follow me on Twitter if you're not already. Uh, Bye. And yes. Bye.